Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy hump day. Happy uh, Chiefs Parade Day. And I, I will say it, it, I find it oddly enjoyable to watch other people's championship parades. Not everybody, not like the New York Yankees, but like the Chiefs. It's kind of fun. Yeah, guys, completely hammered, uh, running around shirtless in Missouri in, I don't know, 50-degree temperature. It doesn't – I mean, even the cheerleaders are completely covered up, and you got football players just running around half-naked. Like, the alcohol is strong with these ones. You don't get annoyed by other teams' celebrations? No, not not every I, team. I find more than, like, two or three minutes of it is, is very annoying. I can see single clips on social media. That's great. Why, I don't why are sit you a here thief of joy? That? Why are you a thief of joy? Why can't you just enjoy Why something? would you want to watch anybody else but your team? Um, like, it, it meant that your team Because it's win. an expression of joy. Like, why would you... Okay, in that same way, why would you want to watch the Super Bowl if your team's not in it? Why would you want to watch the World Series if your team's not well, in it? Well, that's entertaining. There's not much going on and besides, like you said, guys just drinking and riding on floats. I mean, in fairness, there was um, Willie Gay running around in, in his boxers... Drunk okay, off then, his there, ass. then there was the other 58 minutes of the hour. And no, then they had cheerleaders. That was quite enjoyable. They've had plenty of things here. Like, listen, when the mayor of Kansas City gets on the TV, we agree. This sucks. Who is this clown? Why is he uh, the the start of the, the parade here or the start of the ceremony? Or certain actors that are fake fans. Are you, are you calling out Eric Stone Street? No, I'm not saying anybody in particular. I'm just saying there's people like that. Who? Name them. People. A lot of them. Well, like you got okay. You know that draws the celebrities out. Whenever a team wins, all of a sudden the celebrity comes out of the woodwork and just like I've been a fan my whole life. I mean, it's the Chiefs. When previously to this era of Chiefs football, when were you going to come out and be like, "Yeah, Chiefs, that's me"? Right? I don't know. People in Cleveland here have been a a fan of the Browns, regardless of they've been good. I mean, guys, Drew Carey was at when they was at the big ceremony the first game when they brought brought the Browns back five years later. He was yeah. like, I'm not a Browns fan uh, anymore. Twenty the year they went to the playoffs. We had uh, some musicians and stuff like that come out as fans and uh, seemingly disappeared in the three years. You since. really are a thief of joy. Sometimes you can't just let people enjoy it. I agree that there is like I'll be honest, guys. I'm sorry, Drew Carey. I love you, respect you. Plinko is the goat. I love what you do. You're a great sign of success from Northeast Ohio. I've never met you, but I've heard lovely things about you. But you are not allowed back on the Browns bandwagon. You're just not allowed. I'm sorry. When if you've openly like this is uh, like if you renounce your citizenship, I was reading about uh, a a famous rich person from the uh, what's that pharmaceutical family, the, the Salter family. I think that's the name of them. I don't. I should know. I literally just read a whole expose on them. But from them, um, so they one of their their founding from born in 1910, he renounced his citizenship 
citizenship to America and became a British British citizen. <laughs> and I thought to myself, cool, don't come back. You can come back to the country, but you can't you you can't get that citizenship back. And I can't say citizenship can't say the word. to save my life. But that's my point. Once you've left the bandwagon, if you're a celebrity because, oh, it sucked and it wasn't fun, cool. Frig off. Now to the end of time. Go watch Seattle Sounders, uh, whatever the hell they call the soccer team. You seem to like them a lot. Appreciate you. Respect you. You're more successful and talented than me, but you're not getting back on this bandwagon. So we're not too far off is what I'm saying here. But there is mounting there is mounting evidence to suggest that people are people are changing their tunes on the Cleveland Browns. And Aditi Kinkabwala was on with uh, Ken and JP this morning, another fantastic episode by those two gentlemen. And Aditi was talking about the impact of Jim Schwartz, the impact of the Browns winning this year and something that happened to her involving Cleveland during the Super Bowl. Last week, there was a player I spoke to, I will not name names, who was talking about Jim Schwartz's defense and said, I want to go play in that. Whoa! I'm going to guess it's Hassan Reddick. That is not... You paused. I'm not revealing who the person is. That was a really strong... Okay, you, if you guys want to see the whole video, it is up on 92.3thefans Twitter account, and I think it's also on 92.3thefan.com. Uh, Aditi went full mom because we cut it off there, but she then goes, I'm not going down that road. Not not overly firm, but just the right amount of firm that Ken and JP knew. Don't go there, young man. If you if you offer up a second suggestion, Aditi will mic drop on your ass. All right? Or she'll do the thing where you're not sure if she's done talking and then you think she hung up. That happens with Aditi too. That's just because of her inflection. But I digress. With, with this... I think it's really important. Listen, we can call this the Jim Schwartz impact if we want, but it's not just about Jim Schwartz. I don't know that the Browns are 100% here yet, but when you hear Aditi talk about a player that is looking at Cleveland and going, all the things that used to to be what Cleveland stood for, Kenny Britt, ah, they offered me $40 million over four years, I'm going to take that, right? The guys that would come here for a paycheck. There's an element to that in every situation in the NFL. Every team gets at least one free agent that's only doing it for the money. But for Cleveland, for a good strong decade, there were guys, and like Jamie Collins, came here, got a contract extension, and immediately was a dud in the clubhouse. Not a bad guy per se. He just, he, he cared about his ducats. He, he cared about his performance and, and wasn't maybe the best example of leadership behind the scenes because it, the organization was such in a negative funk. So for a really long time, the Browns have been go-get-your-paper team. And while, again, that it w- that's always going to be an issue no matter where you go, I think, you know, if we use Baltimore as like this, this, this kind of offshore lighthouse that we're going to of what we want to be, no offense, nobody really wants to, okay, I know they got crab cakes, I know The Wire was, was filmed there, I know some people like the DMV area, Baltimore in it in and of itself, not a place that I think has the allure of some of the other eastern seaboard giants, right? Um, 
Baltimore, there's some complications there if you've read into the recent history of Baltimore. There's some violence issues there. Not sure if you've heard about that. Um, there's also some racial issues in, in Baltimore that are significant. That's also the same in, in Boston. But like Boston has a track record of sports success that stands alone. New York has a, a, a lifestyle that, that offers players uh, something different than anybody else, including Baltimore, has. But over 20 years, Baltimore has built itself to be the place that veterans want to go to either wrap up their careers or extend their careers. Derek Wolf, who is a great lineman for the uh, Denver Broncos, got three years at a high level at the end of his career in Baltimore. Calais Campbell, who I think is one of the most underrated defensive linemen in the last 20 years. The man is like 6'8", 300 pounds. Uh, He can play defensive tackle. He can play... A defensive end, he has scheme versatility. He is a monster of a man and fantastic at football. Was actually really good this last year in Atlanta. Calais Campbell, after a disappointing run in Arizona, extended his career by a wide mile or a wide margin. I keep saying wide mile. A wide margin in Baltimore. Kevin Zeitler was released by the Giants, who had offensive line problems in 2021, was a pro bowler in 2022. Or sorry, he was released in 2020 and was a pro bowler in Baltimore in 2021. Jadavian Clowney, who was, guys, unemployable, goes to Baltimore. Jadavian's going to have a really nice market for himself, despite all the obvious warning signs that we ended up experiencing. I don't know the Browns are there just quite yet, but like when you have somebody telling other people, like, hey, yeah, I want to go to Cleveland because of Jim Schwartz. I don't know the Browns are fully there, meaning I don't know every single player thinks the way maybe they do about Baltimore yet. It's been four years. You've made the playoffs half the time. They're still evolving the perception of the Browns. But when you hear a player during Super Bowl week saying, man, can you believe what you can do in Jim Schwartz's defense? When you have Joe Flacco out there on one of the more uh, notable national podcasts saying, yeah, people got it wrong about Cleveland. Can we just all take a moment just to realize that even though they're not a top 10 organization perceptionally yet, this is a far cry from where they were five years ago, where they were a paycheck to other people. I think that's just a really cool moment to observe how different people are thinking about the Cleveland Browns this year. And if you kind of take that going forward, because now it's on the Browns not to screw it up. You take that going forward another four years, and success tends to breed success. I want to go back to what Aditi Kinkabwala had to say about the changing perception in Cleveland and the impact of Jim Schwartz. Last week, there was a player I spoke to, I will not name names, who was talking about Jim Schwartz's defense and said, I want to go play in that. Whoa! I'm going to guess it's Hassan Reddick. That is not... You paused. I'm not revealing who the person is. A strong by Aditi. Um, the, the, this is actually the funny thing is, we all did what Ken did. We were like, oh, is it Hassan Reddick? Was it Khalil Mack? Was it, and then you just insert a player's name there. I will say, uh, the Chargers need to move on from some money. Khalil Mack, uh, I think it was pro football focus, had Khalil Mack to Philly for a fourth round pick. I would do that. Tomorrow, in a heartbeat, Khalil Mack here would be a lot of fun across from Miles Garrett. They should have drafted him fourth overall in 2014. But, again, that is about the changing perception in Cleveland and the fact that, yes, you have Micah Parsons making a Cleveland is Cleveland joke. You have Jamar Chase making a Cleveland is Cleveland joke. But slowly but surely, the the, the way people view 
the Browns is changing, and that is going to open up doors here. And I think, listen, I don't think you have to look any farther than the Browns going four for four in the NFL honors. Like previously, guys, you might win one of those four awards, and it's a hair tussle. Like, good for you, Miles Garrett. Good for you being a good football player in Cleveland. Previously, like Kevin Stefanski, that first year, Kevin winning coach of the year felt a little bit like a hair tussle. Hey, you aren't Freddie Kitchens, and you kind of got the Browns over the hump finally. This year, you can't explain away four NFL honors, four yearly awards as a hair tussling. And I don't think it's just Jim Schwartz, by the way. I think Jim Schwartz helping Miles Garrett become the defensive player of the year for the first time in his career. I think that's the kind of thing that has tangible value. I think Miles Garrett winning the defensive player of the year because guys are pretty smart. Like guys like Jadavian Clowney get frustrated when Miles gets all the the nice matchups because they're trying to make their dough too. Smart football players know. Guys who aren't just selfish know that if you cook across from Miles, that's it's only going to help him and you. And which then brings me to my next point. And I see this differently than everybody else on the station does. Um I heard Ramon Foster, uh, former Pittsburgh Steelers offensive lineman, I heard what Ramon Foster had to say about the Steelers quarterback situation, and he tied it into Cleveland. And everybody went on high guard. Everybody was on that high. We got to we got to go ahead and uh, you know circle the the wagons here. We got to build a, a fortress around the Northeast Ohio area. We can't let this man besmirch Cleveland. I think there are two things going on. I think the most important thing is the thing that people missed. That's what gets it to me. You have more stability than you're giving yourself credit for. Like, do you see Baltimore making these types of moves? Like, this type of scrambling and searching for a franchise quarterback is very Cleveland of y'all to be asking this type of stuff. <laughs> Am I? No, like, I ain't even oh, no. wrong on that, man. Like, he just dunked on everybody watching this. No, DK, it is. Like, it's, it's very Cleveland of you. Like, go get your guy through the draft, and you know he fits your DNA. So... One, it, that's actually on DK Sports in Pittsburgh. And what a fake-ass laugh from DK. Like, I can't remember. It's uh, Devin Kovacevic, I think is his name. What a fake-ass laugh. No, 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 you just dunked on a lot of people listening right now. Uh, two, I think what people are forgetting is, I don't think Pittsburgh has been this triggered about Cleveland and on guard on Cleveland for as long as I can remember. Like, maybe, like, because remember, like, when the Browns left in 95, Pittsburgh and Buffalo and Kansas City, they say, come on board here. You root for us for the next couple of years and we'll hate each other again. In 99, that was kind of back, but I think Steelers fans were just happy that the Browns were back and they had a chance to resume that rivalry. Then they never resumed that rivalry because the Cleveland Browns were an unserious franchise for 20 damn years. But like Ramon Foster, one, I do want to get to the actual thing that he's saying, that there actually is something valid to what he's saying. But most importantly, like, this is just the latest thing. Like, yesterday, I was listening to 93.7 The Fan, and everything was, well, we got to punch at Cleveland to try and make us feel better about ourselves here. Guys, they're doing what we did for the 20 years where they dusted us, right? Where it was like, well, sure, Ben Roethlisberger, but what about those charges? Right? Well, uh, sure, yeah. Well, you, you, Pittsburgh, because you haven't won a playoff game in five years, Right? They're just doing the same thing. To me, the rivalry's back. Like, the whole T.J. Watt thing, 
uh, Steelers fans backing up an entitled bratty athlete who was upset that he didn't win Defensive Player of the Year because he allegedly he felt like he was entitled to it. Well, me have most sacks. Me should win that one. Eh, go ahead and lift weights again, TJ. Like, I just think the reality is part of this is we are really in the Steelers' cage right now. And I think Steelers fans and Steelers media are pretty scared that all of a sudden they're going to be the odd man out. The Browns were the odd man out in this division, and somebody's going to be it. I don't know that it's going to be the same team every year, right? There were a couple, there was a there was a, a fair amount of time, even before it became the AFC North when it was the the Central, there was a fair amount of time where it was the Bengals that were the odd man out. And then the Browns kind of took up that mantle. And then the Browns and Bengals kind of traded back and forth. And then the then the Bengals started winning a little bit. And then they kind of receded a little bit. And then they got Joe Burrow. But, like, the Steelers have not been the odd man out in this division consistently since, like, the 80s. And so you have a generation of people who don't know what it's like to lose at this level. And, by the way, they were in the playoffs. But the fear is real. I think some of that is Cleveland finished ahead of you in the standings. All of a sudden, the little brother isn't the little brother anymore. They were better than you. Your fate was the same. It doesn't matter. Because now Pittsburgh's feeling the pressure. And I think what's funny about this is uh, Ramon Foster, on one level, is 100% right. Pittsburgh, this is not a good offseason to need a quarterback. I mean, honestly, guys, I think it's tough to go ahead and find a quarterback that you can bring in that is going to fix things if you are – it's better to look for the next quarterback when you already have the quarterback, right? Uh, Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and now Jordan Love. Both times they've looked for the quarterback when they haven't needed the quarterback, and they've taken a tremendous amount of crap for it. Uh, San Francisco had Jimmy Garoppolo as their starter. Yeah, the injuries were there, and that kind of forced their hand, but they had him when they drafted Trey Lance and Brock Purdy. So that's what good franchises do. So, like, Ramon Foster is right. Pittsburgh, I don't think you should commit to uh, Kenny Pickett, but... Chasing Russell Wilson is pretty desperate. Chasing, uh, what were the other names? Ryan Tannehill is pretty desperate. If you if you get somebody who doesn't still have upside or somebody that is just kind of a back half of their career, final two or three years, you're right back where Pittsburgh was until they drafted Ben Roethlisberger. And I mentioned that you know they haven't been the odd man out since the 80s. Guys, that Cower era, the first decade was kind of marred by the fact that they bounced around from Neil O'Donnell to Bubby Brister. Cordell Stewart was their quarterback sometimes, maybe. I don't know. There was the Tommy Maddox era. Like, Pittsburgh's in a place they haven't been for 20 years. They are in the quarterbackless abyss. And Ramon Foster's, I, I disagree with the quarterback that he said, but he is right to say, guys, it's what we did. The Browns had a different starting quarterback uh, damn near every year for 20 years, and it only perpetuated the losing crappy atmosphere in Cleveland and the losing crappy atmosphere in that locker room because it was the number one thing. Who's going to be the quarterback? Do you draft a quarterback? Do you take a quarterback top five? Right? Do you trade for this quarterback? Well, why should maybe we get Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield? That's where Pittsburgh is. Now, the problem is you're there. Problem is, like, there's no bargaining in this situation. Well, we should just double down on what we've been doing as it hasn't been working. But he's right. This is the thing that Cleveland used to do, and there are certain moves that are just going to wind you right back where you are, which I find incredibly hilarious because Pittsburgh thought this would never happen. I thought it was really funny, and I, again, I thought it was spot on. Ramon Foster on DK Sports in Pittsburgh was like, 
man, everybody wants all these different quarterbacks, and uh, that's like what Cleveland would do, and he's right. Like, guys, we would start out every offseason with the highest principles. We're like, it is Kirk Cousins or bust. It is uh, Jameis Winston or bust. It is Jared Goff or bust. And then we get, like, a couple months into the season, we'd be like, you know, I mean, Tyrod Taylor could be available. I mean, I think that's a, a logical thing, you know. Oh, what about this Deshaun Kaiser guy? And by the time we got to the draft or the time we got through free agency, we'd be like, you know what, guys? I think Cody Kessler – I mean, Hugh Jackson said trust me on on on, uh, on Cody Kessler. He He's not going to do that for just about anyone. He literally did that for just about every quarterback he brought in here. RG3, the world moved beneath his feet. Um I probably would have seen a doctor immediately. If, if the world moved beneath your feet watching RG3 play, there's a problem with the, with your ecosystem, not what's going on with the quarterback or what you're seeing. But I just think it's I think it's fascinating. Like, I think Pittsburgh's in a really rough spot. One, there is no Aaron Rodgers. There is no like I the best guy that could be available is Kirk Cousins, and I don't know he will be. And I think there's been a lot of talk about, oh, it's a great quarterback class. It's the best quarterback class since Joe Burrow. And that might be true. But, like, I don't know that any of these quarterbacks I, – like, I know tools-wise that Caleb Williams can be a special player. But now you have concerns about the person and about why they didn't win this year in, at USC. Like, Drake May is a really nice prospect. He's got the the kind of starting experience you want. He was prolific in a spread offense. He, he's also more of a traditional quarterback. He's mobile, but he's not the most mobile guy in the world. And you'd kind of want to know what that per, that uh, ability to read defense is, whether he can do that or not. I don't know. You know that in that offense at North Carolina, JJ McCarthy is a guy who says everybody talks about his tools. The guy, the guys, they won because they ran the ball a lot. Nice, nice player at Michigan, but he kind of just a quarterback. He's kind of just a good player. I don't know if he was a gr truly great player just because he was better than the guys they had before. So, and those are the, the top three guys I'm just thinking of off the top of my head. So even if you trade up and draft for a guy, I don't know that Pittsburgh's going to find themselves in a best spot to land an actual upgrade over Kenny Pickett. It might end up being the best thing they do is take a guy in like the third round and give Kenny Pickett the chance to start or compete to start, bringing a veteran to compete with him, and then hopefully develop that quarterback over time. Hasn't worked with Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges or uh, Josh Dobbs or Kenny Pickett, but got to kind of keep throwing darts at the dartboard because you don't have a top 10 pick this year to get one of those quarterbacks. That being said, while as my, I and I have had a lot of fun listening to 93.7 The Fan the last two days and listening to the absolute panic about I mean, they've they've done everything. They've mentioned all the names. Uh, Adam Crowley uh, of The Morning Show, he had an interesting name that I do think you might think right now it doesn't bug you. It would bug you in time. That's a guy that intrigues me, Doran. Like, if he were to hit the free agent market, that price gets driven up and up and up. But I'd at least contact Baker Mayfield and just see what he's looking for because I think he would obviously be an upgrade over what the Steelers' quarterback situation is right now. I think that if Baker Mayfield did get contacted by the Steelers and the Steelers were really interested, I think he'd be really interested in playing here just because of the fact that he would play the Cleveland Browns twice a year. And I think that that's how Baker Mayfield is wired. That chip on his shoulder that he's always had would be a huge Dorito chip on his shoulder <laughs> to go in there and play the Browns every single year. 
year. Like if I were him, knowing how Baker Mayfield kind of operates, if he was getting paid the way that he needs to get paid, a team that may be okay and he has some weapons, but I get to play the Browns twice a year, a team that drafted me first overall and gave up on me. Oh my God, I'd be all over. So, so this is the kind of desperate thinking that we had previously gotten to. There, I remember there was a time where we talked about should the Browns trade for Ben Roethlisberger. And I'm talking like 33-year-old Ben Roethlisberger. That's before the time when he got arrested. When we, Well, if Pittsburgh wants to move on from him, should we trade for Ben Roethlisberger? So the whole flaw, the, the, the flaw in the Death Star is you're going to sign a quarterback because he would be, uh, I don't know, he'd, he'd want to play his old team twice a year and he would have a chip on his shoulder. Guys, Baker has a chip on his shoulder. He doesn't need to be in the same division as the Cleveland Browns to have a chip on his shoulder. He had a chip on his shoulder at Texas Tech. He had a chip on his shoulder at Oklahoma. As the first pick in the draft, he somehow had a, a chip on his shoulder. I think Baker just has a chip on his shoulder. So the idea that that should make him more attractive to Pittsburgh is honestly a pretty stupid thought. However, I think Browns fans right now would say, ah, let him have him. I don't think it makes sense for Baker to leave Tampa Bay, by the way. I think they should pay him. I think they should stabilize that spot. I think they should start trying to draft and develop for the day where all of a sudden Baker is Ryan Tannehill and he's no longer worth the money that you're paying him. But that's neither here nor there. Baker, get your paper. But I think there's a lot of Browns fans who have taken this approach of, I don't care about Baker. Why are you talking about Baker? Why would anybody talk about Baker? Um, I don't know if you know this. He kind of cast a bit of a shadow as the Browns quarterback. Like he has been, he's the best Brown starting quarterback since Bernie Kosar. Maybe Vinny, because Vinny did have that nice uh, 1994, but he was better in Baltimore and he was better in uh, New York. But anyways, Baker's the best Brown starting quarterback since Bernie. So he's got the lone playoff win that you've had since 1994. So that matters. They moved on on from him for the right reason. But I think what's funny about this is. I think what what is missing from the Pittsburghian, the Yinzer logic, the Pittsburgher logic, is that it only matters what Baker Mayfield does outside of Cleveland if Deshaun Watson continues to not be able to meet the price tag he was traded for. If if Deshaun can't stay healthy, which is my big concern now, it's not the production. It, the production, I think, is going to come. I think it was on the come this year before the injury happened twice. But... It's so easy to say, I don't care about Baker. I don't care about that quarterback. You're, you'd care about him if he was in your backyard and Pittsburgh was in the playoffs every year and you have to restart your quarterback search in two to three years. And I don't think the Cleveland Browns want any part of Baker Mayfield in Pittsburgh because I think they understand that those two quarterbacks, even though they weren't traded for each other until Deshaun Watson plays 17, 16, a full season, whatever that means, 15, 16, 17 games, and leads you to the promised land, and that's just the playoffs and a playoff win. Until that happens, guys, there is going to be a push and pull of what happens with Baker and what happens with Deshaun. I thought we did a great job of not overreacting and being bitter about Baker's success in Tampa this year, and a lot of that was because the Browns won 11 games and we were in this love fest with Joe Flacco. When Tampa Bay turned it on and took over that division is right when Joe Flacco kind of turned it on and the Browns took over a playoff spot in the fifth seed in the uh, AFC. But I think if you're saying to yourself, I don't care if Baker goes to Pittsburgh, I do sense a little bit of denial there. Our next guest had a pretty fascinating stat on the Cavaliers. They were in rarefied air during this hot streak 
uh, when our next guest kind of posted this stat. Now, we talked a little bit about it yesterday, but it was all about the net rating of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, they have a they had, uh, as of February 12th, a 16.2 net rating since January 1st. Uh, and the only teams in the last decade to have a 16-plus a net rating over 19 games were the 67-win Spurs on the 15-16 season, the 67-win Warriors in 2016-2017, and the 63-win uh, paced Bucks in the 2019-2020 season. And then there were a whole host of really good teams that had a net rating of 15 or more over those 19 games or more. And we now go out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline and welcome the man that tweeted that stat that unearthed it, national NBA reporter for The Athletic, Mike Vorkanoff. Mike, welcome to the show, bud. Hey, how's it going? Happy to be known for my tweets. Well, listen, well that that's a slippery slope right there. Like, there have yeah. been times where I've been very happy to be known for a tweet, and then there have been times where I'm like, man, I really wish nobody saw that tweet. <laughs> yeah, I, I usually think that's the case, the latter, no matter what it is. But, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll cite this as the one positive time. So do you take that net rating since January 1? Do you take that as a sign that the Cavaliers are legitimate contenders in the Eastern Conference, given the company of teams that have, have achieved that feat in basically quarter-season increments? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good indicator, right, um, of how well they've played. Uh, I think that they're definitely up there in the East right now. I, I think that there's a clear top four uh, right now in the East that separated themselves with Joel Embiid going down. I put Boston as the top team, and then you have Milwaukee, the Knicks, and the Cavaliers kind of chasing. Um, but I, I think if they came into the season with some questions, uh, they certainly helped to answer them, even at a time when they were without Mobley and Garland. So I know you mentioned what you think the, the clear top four there, and I, I, I think that is the fair assessment of where it is. Uh, Cavs fans are scared, you know what, list of the Knicks after last year. Of the other three teams in that top four, which team would they want to face the most in a second-round series as of this moment today? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, if we're not – I mean, I think you still probably pick the Knicks, um, mainly because Boston has been the best team in the NBA this year, and Milwaukee, for all their many, many problems, uh, still have you know Giannis and Dame Lillard and – uh, it's pretty scary in the playoffs, if you ask me. Uh, not that the Knicks would be an easy team to play, but I, I mean, I, I think uh, you probably you probably feel the best about playing them compared to the other two. Do you think that the postseason will go differently for the Cavs this year? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think you know part of it is that they've had some personnel changes, right? Like signing the guys that they did in the off season um, really helped with Struess and George Niang. And uh, I think that Jared Allen has played so much better this year. And like, obviously they got rocked on the boards last year uh, with Allen and with Mobley. And you would think uh, they would have learned from that um, and kind of taken something from that. If they get to the playoffs a second time and just, you know, talking to some of these guys when they came through Brooklyn ahead of the season, it seemed like they did take some lessons from that and getting to the playoffs for the first time did, um, you know, they took something from being there for the first time that you think they would use in the second. And now they have more three point shooting and Sam Merrill. I forgot to mention him. Uh, I, I think they're a different team than they were last year in the playoffs. And so I think the matchup with the Knicks would probably go differently. Uh, I assume they wouldn't have the total cold streak 
that they um, that they went through in the first round last year. So I think it would be a very interesting matchup. Like I wouldn't be surprised if we go seven uh, if those two teams have to play in the playoffs. Mike Vorkanoff, national NBA reporter for the Athletic on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Um, who is the most non? Sorry, who is the most important non Donovan Mitchell Cavalier? For the Cavs to make either meet playoff expectations or exceed them this year, I think it's the same guy that it was last year. I think it's Evan Mobley. Um, you need him. You need him to be great. You need him to be not only the great defender, which I think he was last year in the playoffs. He was obviously during the regular season. I think he was very good in guarding Julius Randle and you know the other defensive assignments he had in the playoffs last year. I think you need him to produce offensively too, right? Um, you can't just have it coming from their backcourt and just from the guards. You need someone else to space the floor. You need someone else to create. You need someone else to finish. And, you know, he obviously didn't do that in the playoffs last year, and it, and it hurt them um, that they couldn't have another reliable scoring option, and you can't do that in the playoffs when you just have only two guys that you can count on uh, to create plays and, and to create points for you. So I was uh, so I'm going to bring you in on a – it's, it kind of is something that I think every NBA team that doesn't have a Tatum or a Giannis ends up having this conversation. But it was a conversation point. Uh, two nights ago, uh, the Cavs get themselves back in that Philadelphia game. Uh, Donovan has the ball. It gets kicked out to Darius. He missed the, misses the game-winning three, and that opened up the conversation of of whether anybody but Donovan should be taking the last shot of a basketball game when the game is on the line. I'm curious, how do you look at that in a situation like Cleveland where Donovan is clearly your best player, but Donovan's also an undersized guard that isn't a Tatum or a Giannis? I mean, he's pretty good at creating his own shot, right? He's shown that throughout his career. He's Yeah, he's only 6'2 or whatever, but he's shown repeatedly that he can create his own shot, um, and even in big-time situations. I think, to me, it's kind of a nuanced thing. It's like, Yes, you want the ball in Donovan Mitchell's hands when you're probably starting that possession or starting that action. But if it leads to a good shot for someone else, somewhere else on the floor, you know, if it's a wide open three for someone or you find Mobley underneath the basket or whatever the case may be, I don't think that's a bad outcome for the Cavs. I think you just probably want the ball starting in Mitchell's hands or at least Garland's hands and going from there and seeing what the play leads to. So, I know I'm asking this at a time where I think it's tough to tell because they, they got like seven games in with Doc Rivers, uh, and they're only and they've only fallen quote unquote only to the third seed in the East. Are are the Bucks really in trouble, or is this something they're going to recover from? Uh, yes, is my is my question <laughs> to both of those things. Um, I yeah, I mean they're obviously got some problems. They fired a coach, right? Uh, and it hasn't gotten better since they hired Doc Rivers, but maybe they can take the break, take a week uh, to try to figure these things out. But, you know, it, the problems that they've had before Doc got there, since got doctor, got doc, uh, doc got there, are the types of things that sink you in the playoffs. You have two just, you know, amazing all-time type of players with Giannis and Dame that can cover up a lot of issues, and you think that they wouldn't. They would not have the same late-game offensive problems that they've had the last few years because Damian Lillard changes so much for them, uh, and, and maybe they can figure out their defense. And, and that's the thing is if they can figure out the defense, I, I think the offense will come around because they still have Giannis. They have Lillard that can give them that kind of diversity in the shots that they get and the looks that they give to opposing teams, and their offense has been just awesome this year. So if they can figure the defense out um, – you know, I think they'll be okay, but it seems to be a big if because 
uh, as good as they were the last few years, they just haven't been able to replicate it this year. And obviously Drew Holiday's not there, so they have to figure something out. Mike, looking out west, a guy we know all too well, LeBron James, uh, there was some scuttlebutt that he might want traded or that he might be fed up with what's going on with L.A. Uh, then there's the report that comes out today that the Warriors, through back channels, tried to see if he really wanted out of there, and they want they were eager to present a deal to bring LeBron to pair him with uh, Steph Curry. And then uh, there was the Lakers not making a move at the deadline because LeBron committed to them. I'm just curious, if you could take the Lakers or the field, what would you take for LeBron's home after this summer? The Lakers or the field for the home? Mm. Uh, I will bet on inertia, and I'll bet on the Lakers. Um, I think that... I, th- I think that's where I put my money. Yeah, I, I would bet on the Lakers and, and assume that things stay the same because he's got it still pretty good in L.A., I think, uh, and they have some more assets that will be available to them to make a move um, this summer that they can do something with. Uh, but obviously, you know, there's there's getting to be a good amount of smoke right now um, with everything the last few weeks. If LeBron came out and just said he didn't say he was going to leave. but if- Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours how powerful is cox internet powerful enough to let your band members in vegas phoenix and rhode island jam like you're all in the same garage get cox internet powered by fiber with america's fastest download speeds it's internet built for tomorrow today Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. LeBron just came out and said, I'm going to listen to other offers this summer before I decide what I'm going to do the rest of my career. How many teams in the NBA do you think would be uh, would, would come up with a plan to make room for LeBron or acquire LeBron? I mean, they should all try, right? Um, I, I don't know a team who wouldn't be better by adding LeBron James. I don't know how many of them he would actually consider, uh, but that they should all definitely at least try. You know, he'd be he'd make every team pretty much better if he got there. I, I, you misspelled Cleveland, but I agree. Um, <laughs> no, you don't want LeBron back. No, I hundred percent want. No, I, I miss if that's what you heard. I miss. No, yeah, I would take LeBron back tomorrow. Not even a joke. <laughs> yeah, it went pretty well the first two times, I think. Yeah, and I, it's one of those things where, like, there's a segment of people who are like, uh, "I want to win without LeBron." And I'm like, I'd rather just win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you have to do it one time. Nice. What'd you say there, bud? 
No, I said I agree with you. Sometimes the winning is just nice, no matter how it comes. Yeah, I like winning uh, with a, a, a complicated situation better than I do losing without any complication, which is really nice. Just I really like these guys kind of thing. Follow this man on Twitter, at Mike Vorkanov. Mike, great stuff, man. Appreciate it. And uh, enjoy the All-Star game as much as anyone can enjoy the All-Star game and the All-Star break. Uh, thanks. Anytime. And, and same to you. Hopefully you can find five minutes of something you like in that game. Uh, I At least five minutes. It'll be the three-point shooting contest, which I know isn't the game, but still, you got it. Mike, appreciate you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Bye. Mike Vorkanoff on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Interesting stuff on the Cavaliers. We've got to get to that and the right and the wrong of the last shot conversation when it comes to the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's next on 92.3 The Fan. Coach is here. Oh, the OC is going to call that play. I don't like it. Uh, The defensive coordinator just called that play. I don't like it. Uh, I think what we really should use is uh, a phrase called the fall guy. I got to tell you, uh, Kyle Shanahan kind of lost a little respect for him in this one. That is, uh, the Steve Wilkes is a good dude, and Steve Wilkes held Pat Mahomes to 19 points up until that last drive. So in regulation, in a Super Bowl, the defense held Pat Mahomes to 19 points. They got one big play, and that was the McCole Hardman thing, which was immediately snuffed out by the uh, Isaiah Pacheco fumble. So I understand the NFL is a dirty business. I understand that... It, it's uh, it, it's going to help 49ers fans feel better because they're gonna they're gonna fire Steve Wilkes and listen that's a good job because it's Kyle Shanahan and the two previous defensive coordinators they've launched into uh, head coaching jobs dirty dirty work by Kyle Shanahan we already knew he was kind of a dirty bastard from what he did here in Cleveland but this is this takes the cake good on you Kyle way to be classy. Um, the other big thing is uh, the story you guys heard in uh, in Jake's 2020, which is um, the reports of shots being fired near the uh, the Chiefs Super Bowl celebration here and the Super Bowl parade. And, you know, it just astounds me just from the human element here. And, and the details are still kind of inv- kind of coming out here. And so I, I don't want to speak too much on this because I know that these things can kind of age poorly when you talk about them. I don't fundamentally understand how in what is supposed to be a moment of joy, some people can't set aside whatever the hell is going on in their head and, or in their heart and just experience joy. Like I understand that things do happen in this world, and I understand we can all be put in extreme situations where things change, but when you are in what is the pinnacle of joy, what is fun, and I understand like I have social anxiety. Uh, the, 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 the Cavs Super Bowl parade is as much fun as I've ever had. I've never seen more happiness, just people, just proud of their town, people, just proud of their team, relieved, feel a feeling of joy. And like, I get it. It's the third Super Bowl for Kansas city in five years. And so maybe it's not the same way. Maybe it's like the party in Anchorman where Will Ferrell's like, we're doing the same party we've been at for the last 10 years. I do understand that there's an element of this. I do not un- listen. I can't fathom hurting another person like this, anyways. But I just can't imagine the ego, the gall, the how just thoughtless and inhumane you have to be to in a situation where somebody, where where multiple people can get hurt, that you're not intending to get hurt in a moment of anger, 
you got to flash a piece and act like a big bad boy. I just do not understand that line of thinking. I it is just, and it's funny. Like I'm not one. I cannot give into this thing. This is growing cynicism, which I think is beneficial to everybody except actual humans, like you and me, day to day people. There's this growing sin. Oh, it's never been worse. It's never been worse. I don't find that a useful tool of how I perceive society and my fellow man. That has nothing to do with my day to day. Whether it's politics, whether it's individual issues, it has it, it can't override my need to connect with people around me. But I just can't imagine what a selfish piece of crap you have to be to do something like this at a moment where there are kids and families and and individuals around, people of special needs around, and any one of them could be taken away from us in a moment's notice because you're an immature jackass that can't act appropriately in a moment where, honestly, hate has no business. And I, 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 I honestly, hate has no business anywhere. But at a Super Bowl party, at because it's not just a Super Bowl party. It's a celebration of, of civic joy. We have so few things. There's so much. There's so much pressure in all of our days. How the hell can you just not be a human being for five minutes? How, how can you not just see? Like, I don't, I don't get how people don't look at other people and see other people's kids. I don't get how other people look and they strip other people of humanity but I especially don't get it when things like this happen, when it is a large crowd of joy and it is a moment meant to celebrate something that means something to people. I just think you have to be a real piece of work to kind of go down that lane. I just, I, I'm a pretty empathetic dude. I just can't wrap my head around the kind of person or the kind of people that would do this. Despicable doesn't really even feel like a strong enough word to kind of go through. And I know now, from now on, this is going to tip off every single uh, wedge issue and conversation. It's going to be all over the big news things. Like, let's just strip it down to the basic brass tacks, the basic level. Humans. Humans in a moment of joy having to flip to some sort of panic for their life or for the lives of their loved ones. I mean, just... You don't deserve to be a member of society if that's where you go in that setting or settings like that. So, all the best, all the best, uh, you know, thoughts, prayers, all the things we usually say in these kind of things. But best wishes, best hopes for the people of Kansas City that this is quickly handled, that the police are safe, all that kind of stuff. But I just, I, I cannot allow it to shade how I feel about everybody else. And I hope that we can just get back to when we see heinous people do heinous things, we can just realize they're fundamentally heinous. I hope we can do that instead of every single moment is a big thing to cast aspersions on the state of whether it's the country or people or whatever. But man, is it tough not to get that cynical and jaded. So that is the latest there. Jake's going to have the more uh, have more of that on his 2020s. But we do have uh, Brian Billick coming up in just about – uh, math is hard. 32 minutes here. And uh, we've archived all the past episodes so you can hear what you might have missed, but don't miss the next live episode of Carmen and Lima's Emerging Podcast Scene Thursday morning at 10.15, presented by Extend Technologies on 923thefan.com, the extra channel, rather, uh, part of the free Odyssey app. Ken and, and Lima do a great job on their show. They do a lot of fun stuff on the Emerging Podcast Scene as well. And I, I want to thank Mike Vorkanoff one more time for joining us in that last segment because... I think he said something that I was thinking this morning.
And I have heard now 24 hours of reaction to the final shot conversation. And it all kind of stemmed from Darius Garland having the final shot, uh, that, that final look, the three-point shot against Philly that came up lame. And it's been really interesting to kind of see people react to it because I'll be honest with you, I love seeing Darius Garland get that shot. One, he's a tremendous three-point shooter who's only grown more efficient playing next to uh, Donovan Mitchell. Two, I think there are very. I think we have. I. I think this. The thing that Mike said that I think really makes sense is that people don't understand the nuance necessary in describing who gets the final shot in NBA games. Uh, LeBron got hammered. I mean, even when he was young, LeBron got hammered for being a guy who would pass to his teammates in those moments, and they they weaponized Michael Jordan against him, right? Well, Michael Jordan would never. Okay, a different player, Magic Johnson would. So the the comparisons always irk me to some degree, but I, I, I will say I think we reduce this to a point that I don't find effective. It's not how I think of basketball, and I don't think it's how in basketball games people think. The I, This idea of, oh, one guy's got to take the shot. There are There are situations where that's true. There are situations where one guy has to take the shot. That's not Cleveland. Honestly, it's not even Boston. Boston has two guys that could be the one guy to take the shot. Either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown in any scenario would be the guy to take that shot. But in fairness with that, because they play on the same team, Boston is extra lethal in those last moments of the game because both of those guys can make the game-winning play either as a passer or as a shooter. And so I think that kind of is fascinating going to the Cavs here because, like, I I actually think, like, there's so much pressure when you have a Giannis, when you have a, a Jokic, when you have an Embiid, when you have a Tatum or Brown or Kawhi. And in fairness, again, uh, the Clippers has the, have a couple guys can that can take that last moment of the game possession over. But, like, with the Cavs, ideally, in the playoffs – more often than not, Donovan Mitchell would be the guy with the ball in his hands at that last moment. That's not the same thing as him taking the the individual moment, taking the actual shot itself that determines the game. Because even LeBron doesn't do that. Even Tatum and Brown don't do that 100% of the time because if you did, you'd be a million times easier to guard. So I thought it was a huge moment. I know like that was something JB got criticized for last year, letting other guys than Donovan take the final shot in regulation, down two points, down three points, needing a three-pointer to win, needing a, a field goal to win. I actually say I think it's the smartest thing he's done. I, I think the more confidence you build, basketball, especially if you are not the guy, but you're still somebody who's capable of making that shot. Darius is capable. Hopefully one day Evan Mobley will be capable. I, I I like that he's shooting more threes right now. I don't think he's that guy today. But the more guys that you have that are capable of taking that shot and the more that the more opportunities it's actually going to open up for Donovan Mitchell. Like when Donovan got the ball in his hand, the ball had to move because they were playing really good defense in Philly and it ended up in Darius's hands. So it kind of is that thing where, and I'm I'm not big on the, um, I'll take a loss now to prove a point later. LeBron used to do that all the time, and it drove me crazy. 
I understood his point. His point was, I can't do this all the time. I need help, and I need to help you be the help that I need. I kind of took myself cross-eyed there. But the point is, LeBron would take a loss to make a point to his teammates or to give his teammate the opportunity to earn his trust. But when it comes down to who takes the last shot of the game, it is so overly simplistic to say, that's got to be Donovan, because that's not realistic 100% of the time. I don't even think it's realistic now in the NBA with how the ball moves, how skilled these guys are, how great of a shooting arrow we play in. I don't even think it's realistic that we do this like now. Like I don't I like I like even 50% of the time. I think 50% of the time if 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 a if a if your best player has to take has to not will, but has to take that shot. Fifth more than 50% of the time, I think you're going to lose a lot of those situations. So I, I understand the idea, which is, man, you want Donovan to have the ball in his hand. That's not the same thing as Donovan's got to be the guy. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Tacovis is a terrific boot brand, and they're bringing a fresh perspective to heritage boot making. So they've carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots. But they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. As someone who tries to pursue a minimalist lifestyle, I highly value quality over quantity. And I'm telling you, you can't find a higher quality boot than Tacovas. Their Western boots for men and women are handmade. Handmade from the most premium leathers with over 200 time-honored individual steps. Also, did I mention that they are Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade down in the boot-making capital of the world, Leon, Mexico? And also, if you've ever wondered if you can pull off cowboy boots, which is something that I was thinking, you should pull on a pair of Tacovas and you'll see. Just do a quick search for Tacovas on social media and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit tacovas.com, that's T E C O V A S.com, and point your toes west. Guy that ends the game on every offensive possession from now to kingdom come. It's just not realistic. So I commend JB. And again, that it was, I don't, it's that in this case, it was not, it was drawn up to be Donovan and it ended up in the hands of Darius. So 
Uh, in this case, I can't single-handedly give it to JB. I have to give it to Donovan as well. And I'm sure that Donovan would like this. Oh, it's so funny because like, I think I heard JP this morning be like, well, the Donovan I know wants that shot. Yeah, okay. The Donovan I know wants to win. So like, yeah, like you, when you're a kid playing in your backyard and you're drawing up a scenario, you don't drop the scenario where you pass the ball to Craig Elo. You don't, you, don't, you don't drop the scenario where you dump it off to Brad Doherty in the high key. No, you're the guy taking the shot. But that's not how games work. It's not how it's not the reality of the NBA. And I think with Donovan, I guarantee you, Donovan would love to be the guy in every moment that that gets that final possession, that makes that play to win the game. But it's overly simplistic to say the only way you win the game is if you make that or if you take that final shot. And so I actually this kind of goes back to the idea the Cavs are in a really good position. And I think the next, and I, I don't think this is just a now thing. I think for as long as you have these core guys together, I think you should be looking for opportunities for Darius to take that shot. And in if if Evan keeps growing his three point shot, I think you got to give him a chance, guys. I think even and I, I am very, I'm not as bullish on this player as literally everybody else in Cleveland is, but like uh, uh, Sam Merrill is the kind of guy, like Kyle Korver was that kind of guy back in his day. They're not the same player, but I'm saying like a guy that can shoot the ball at 40, 42, 44% uh, three-point efficiency or three-point percentage, that's the kind of guy that should get that too. Because every single guy, if you've got five guys, Golden State, there was a moment where Golden State had four of their five guys on the court that could make the three-point shot. You know what that made it tougher too? Focus all your energy and mentality on stopping Steph Curry when he got the ball in his hand. Because you had to worry about Klay Thompson. I, Iggy was not a great three-point shooter. You had to worry about Iggy. There was a couple years there where Draymond was hitting 36, 37, 38% of his threes. Yes, you could toss the ball to Draymond in a final situation if he had an open look and he would make it. Like, that's... I, I think you're... I, it, the ideal thing is you have one best player and or two one best players, and hey, cool, look, we get to run the league by this one player. But if you don't have that, the Cavs are sitting pretty. Donovan's should take that shot about 50% of the time. But they have three or four, and maybe in the future, five or six guys that you might be able to trust with that shot. And, and right now, where you are in the season, it's the same thing as rotations. That's what you're trying to figure out. So the nuance applied here is not why didn't Donovan take that shot? Or Donovan needs to take that shot every time. No, he doesn't. That's probably not best for the Cavs. It makes them easier to beat, easier to to, to slow down Donovan. What happened in that game the other night is honestly sometimes the best possible scenario. 216-474-0092. So do you agree with the idea that Donovan should just be the guy that takes the shot at the end of the game? Because I, because I have not, I have not defended that, so I have not explained that properly. Because I disagree with the idea entirely. If you do, give us a call two one six four seven four double zero nine two. At Nick Wilson says on social media on X social media reactions on the show brought to you by Scheiben Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store, and uh, LeBron almost joined the evil empire allegedly. Ninety two three the fan. I think we're kind of at the logical point when you get to. Uh, the, the second half of the season, which is after tonight, you, you've kind of concluded the all-star break in the all-star weekend acts kind of as that 
natural um, in-between, even though we're well past the 50% mark in the NBA. So we'll have that to come as well on today's show. Uh, a former Cavalier with some interesting thoughts on where the Cavs are. But um, it really was just uh, a pornographic headline and a story put out there by Woj in Ramona Shelbourne today that uh, apparently the Warriors called the Lakers and LeBron at the deadline to gauge interest in bringing him uh, to Golden State, to the Bay, uh, sorry, to the Bay Area to play with Steph Curry. And there's a lot of really interesting things about this, including that the Warriors were, quote, eager to present a deal to L.A., but neither the Lakers nor James were willing to explore a potential a blockbuster. It started with the Warriors owner calling the, the Lakers owner to see whether uh, LeBron's frustration – uh, his post-game comments, his his hourglass tweet were a sign he was open to uh, being dealt. And here's what I think is honestly, like you want to start to get into the optics problems of the NBA. Uh, earlier on Wednesday, so one day before the trade deadline, Draymond Green, who Rich Paul also represents at Clutch, uh, had sent Paul a text message soliciting his help in convincing James to join him in Golden State. I, I, I don't think the NBA realized how bad of a look this is. One, I I know that they went through the proper channels. How do you not view this as tampering? Like, how is this not like owner to owner, then owner to agent, and then player on said team to his agent as an intermediary? And I, I honestly, if LeBron went to Golden State, it'd be a really cool story because LeBron was Steph Curry. It would be box office for the rest of the year. I totally understand why LeBron didn't want to go to Golden State. I totally understand why LeBron wouldn't want to be traded. But I just, like, this is the kind of stuff that happens all the time, and it's so weird. NBA reporters love pointing out that Draymond Green loves to recruit other players like Kevin Durant in 2016 after the, you know, the day after. The, as soon as they lost, he went right to his car and he texted Kevin Durant. I don't see how players think this is a good look. And I think some of this is Draymond is really desperate to be seen on the level of LeBron James and players of that ilk. And that's why, like, that's why he has a podcast. He's not doing it for the money. All right. Draymond's going to top out his career at about $300 million. Draymond's going to do just fine financially. Dray everything Draymond does, and, and listen, I actually think he's going to be a fantastic basketball analyst when he officially retires. Like, they're going to need to replace Charles Barkley and Shaq at some point. And Draymond's perfect for that. He is. He's a big personality. He's not afraid to speak his mind. But, like, it it does bug me. And there's something about that guy that does bug me. And it's not the Cleveland thing. Um, you know, like, he accused uh, Yusuf Nurkic and Kevin Durant of trying to damage his character because both Kevin Durant and, and Yusuf Nurkic kind of came out talking after – the latest cheap shot by Draymond Green on 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 Yusuf Nurkic in the game. I look, it's almost like that time off did nothing for Draymond. And then the whole media, oh, well, he he walked the line. It's the best he's walked the line in a minute because he didn't out and out assault somebody. Like I just I don't understand. This there's this protectionism in in the NBA. There's one of us mentality with Draymond Green, and so I think it's awful to hear player on team a at the deadline in the middle of a season, let alone in the off season, 
is actively trying to tamper. I think that's so much more corrosive and so much more widespread in the NBA than, um, I, I don't know, Danny Ainge reaching out to player A. It's so funny how just like, and 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 this is, a, oh, it's a great story about how the Warriors want to bring together LeBron and, and oh, Draymond encouraged them. Cool. Let's talk about what this does. And listen, it's Lakers fans. Nobody cares. And I understand that. Like, crocodile tears for Lakers fans. The problem is it it happens a lot more to towns like Cleveland and Utah and Portland and San Antonio than it does to the Lakers. And so just overall, I just hate this crap about the NBA. And I hate to be that guy because I think player movement is good. I think player movement overall stimulates interest. I think the college, uh, the transfer portal in college football is tremendous for college football because when you have – the 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 players that everybody knows in the portal, even if they don't leave, it's it it constantly is generating uh, topics, right? Like, oh, who's who's Ohio State going to get a quarterback? Right? There was the Riley Leonard thing. There was Will Howard. There was uh, Cam Ward. There was uh, Dante Moore, and that happens at every school, every big school. So, okay, premier programs, players moving, premier players going to premier programs. I do think that is inevitably good. In baseball, the biggest problem is good luck being one of 25 teams that can't make a move that is substantial. Like Cody Bellinger, who had a really nice season last year. Not quite MVP-level season, but definitely an all-star-plus-level season. He's a free agent this year, and the guy's got five places he can go. Shohei Otani had maybe legitimately three places he could have gone. That's not good for baseball. So player movement, I do think, only drives. That's why the NFL's king, right? They've they've monopolized the NFL draft in a way that is beautiful to watch. And NFL free agency and trades constantly, even in the offseason, even in June, like we, or May with Zedaria Smith, it, it rules the roost. It, it's how you steal attention at every part of the time. But this specific type of player movement feels icky. That's not even what I really want to talk about. Now, like, I, I, I'm fascinated with the idea of LeBron and why he said, I'm not leaving. I think that's the more interesting point. But, man, how do you not feel like what the – you know what is going on in the NBA. When, a, and when an aging – Draymond's a really good player. Draymond's going to get into the Hall of Fame because Draymond was on those Warriors teams. And you can't dispute how important Draymond was to those Warriors teams. He unlocked his ability as a facilitator, as kind of an everyman. That's a, that's a really interesting player for those two guys he played with. If Draymond hadn't played with Steph and Clay, and he had just been for the Pistons, or he'd been for if it, the Cavs had the uh, second-round draft pick before the Warriors that year, he's not the same player. So much of what made him as a player, it's Ben Wallace in Detroit versus Ben Wallace in Washington and Orlando. But he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's also an aging, really never was a truly great, he was a great defensive player. Now I'm now I'm sounding like I'm jaded. But he's an aging, never will be again great player. And he's out here trying to seduce and use his agent to get the best, the biggest star in the game to his spot. Oh, by the way, of course LeBron's not going to Golden State. The Lakers were the 10 seed and the, the Warriors were the 8 seed. Or I think there was like 8 and 9 seed. Hey, would you like to come and be one spot ahead of us in the West and no closer to winning a title? Yeah, LeBron LeBron with Steph sounds really sexy, but it's also a move that if it doesn't work out, 
there's egg on LeBron's face. Whatever LeBron does next, and I do think this summer is going to be fascinating. Um, I would tend to agree with Mike Vorkanoff, who we had at three. I tend to think if it's Lakers of the field, where he's going to be next year, I'd still take the Lakers. But I think the Lakers bet on themselves, and they better <laughs> better pay off. Because if you didn't make a deal at the deadline other than signing Spencer Dinwiddie off the trash heap, and you end up being one and done, or you're on the, the play-in and you don't make the playoffs, good luck. Good luck selling LeBron, because LeBron likes to feel supported, and there's no way that guy feels supported right now. I'll still take the Lakers, but man, that could change very quickly if things get ugly in L.A., or uglier in L.A. But like, LeBron, LeBron understands the optics of being traded and not him choosing his destination. LeBron understands the optics of going to Golden State, where people might not like that, and LeBron does not like to not be liked. And why would he go ahead and okay this, only to turn around and have to make another decision this summer? Honestly, from the Warriors, not only is it bad form with the Draymond thing, it's also peak desperation. 216-474-0092. You guys have a problem with uh, with the Warriors calling LeBron, I just it's tampering. It's just the like, and the NBA should care about this sort of stuff. Super Bowl champion head coach Brian Billick on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Coach, welcome back to the show. How are we doing today? You know, we're okay. It's it, we're kind of that point where I don't know about you, but as much as I'm happy that I'm now going to have an extra day in my weekend to like see my family and be a committed member of my family. I am. I'm. Uh, they got a little football withdrawal going on here on Wednesday, Coach. Yeah. What, what's that ad say after the Super Bowl? Then uh, uh, March is just. I mean, there's. It's uh, yeah. We got March Madness and all that coming on, but uh, it does. It seems awful abrupt. I'm. I'm kind of the same way. And all of a sudden, you just you have nothing. But you, you got the combine in a couple of weeks, so you can look forward to that. I am ready for the combine. I, I do love draft season as well. Um. So the big, a few of the big things that happened in the Super Bowl were, and, and that Kyle Shanahan has now had to defend, was the decision to take the ball first in overtime. It's the first time they've had the new overtime rules in uh, the in the Super Bowl play out that way, where both teams get a possession. I'm, I'm curious whether you agreed with Kyle's decision to take the ball first in overtime, or whether you agree with a lot of the criticism he's received this week. Uh, given the old rule, I, I thought it was a great move, you know, uh, and they almost pulled it off. But given the new rule, I mean, it's it's so hard. There's so many things that you, you can look at and say, well, this decision, that decision, going for two, not going for two, going for it on fourth down. It's always through the prism. If it works, you're a genius. If it doesn't, uh, you're an idiot. If, if it had worked and they had won the game, it was, well, it was decisive and aggressive and Kyle Shanahan was showing the confidence he had on his offense, um, but that they lost. So now all of a sudden it's, he's an idiot and you fire the defensive coordinator. So that's unfortunate life in the national football league. I, I, I do question it because I think when we visited last week um, or when I was at ready roll last week, one of the things that I had said, I mean, this, it is uh, Patrick Mahomes. And if you could make a deal with the devil and going into the game and said, okay, just, Make it a a tie game, and I have the ball in my hand to finish the game. That's about all you can really ask for. And and San Francisco was good enough to, if they could make that happen, uh, and actually went the length of the field. Because the last thing you know, I, I said it all week. If Patrick Mahomes has the ball in his hands to finish the game, then you lose. Just he's done that time and time again. And and with the decision, you kind of put him in that position. 
given that, and I don't, this is not me uh, re-besmirching the name of Brock Purdy. This is me more pointing out that Pat Mahomes is the better quarterback of the two, which feels obvious at this point. As, as a coach, you've got a young quarterback. You've got the lesser quarterback in that situation. Is there some line of thinking? Is, is, is it a valid line of thinking of, man, I don't want Mahomes to score first and then have to have our young quarterback in that position to try and match that? Well, I don't, that's that's a tough one. I don't know because I thought Brock Purdy played well. Brock Purdy played well enough to win. I mean, at the end of the day, although the rules were such that you were going to get the, the snare you were just outlining, Brock Purdy took his team the length of the field. Uh, it wasn't his fault that the the uh, the penalty, the holding penalty, pulled them back out and was limited to a field goal. Um, he delivered, and and to his credit, uh, and, and I think he's he's emerging as one of the top quarterbacks. In the NFL, is he Patrick Mahomes? No, there's not a lot of folks living on that cul-de-sac. Okay, Patrick Mahomes is kind of out there on his own. Uh, and yes, that mentality of the last thing I want to do is give Patrick Mahomes the ball. Could that be in the back of Kyle Shanahan's mind, and that I don't want to kind of put that pressure on on me or on Brock Purdy to have to now match Patrick Mahomes doing what he's doing? Um, that that's that's not altogether out of the realm of possibility. Brian Billick on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Now there is a perceptional issue on Kyle Shanahan that he can't win the big game. He was Atlanta's uh, offensive coordinator when they uh, they they kind of whether it's a collapse or a comeback for New England, um, they were on the losing end there. And now the last two Super Bowls as a head coach, he's lost. Do you think that that perception of can't win the big game? Do you think that's a fair perception we put on coaches? Uh, no, but it's... After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. As we turn the corner into the new year, a lot of people are looking to get healthier. That includes Hero Bread, who have just launched their new recipe using heart-healthy olive oil. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients. Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. All with no compromise on the taste, texture, and bready goodness you expect from your favorites. Now they're listening to their fans and updating their recipe with olive oil, an antioxidant-rich oil that's been shown to reduce cholesterol and minimize the risk of heart disease. Try it today with code HERO10 for 10% off your purchase at hero.co. That's code H-E-R-O-10 for 10% off at Hero.co. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. It's going to be there, and he's going to live with it until he wins it. Remember Tom Landry for years, it was the same thing. Brilliant, but he can't win the big game until you do. Uh, and, and, and the hard thing about that is that 
you carry that along, you carry that around because you certainly don't have a voice in terms of people wanting to talk about it. Um, it, it doesn't matter what you do. You can go, you can go 17 and 0 during the regular season, and then you can make a, a phenomenal run through the playoffs. And, and, and that's still not going to quiet it. There's still going to be that comment until you win the big game. So that the hard part about that is it's not, okay, is he a good coach or uh, can he, is he a winning coach or can he do this or do that? You can answer those long. This one, you, you can't answer to the last game of the year. Coach, uh, obviously next year, Kansas City is going to try to become the first NFL team to ever win three straight Super Bowls. The great Vince Lombardi won the final NFL title and then won the first two Super Bowls, but we've never seen a team win three straight Super Bowls. So I am curious, as a man who coming off that championship in Baltimore, you you felt that pressure to repeat. I'm curious, like what what are the challenges of trying to win back to back, let alone three straight? Just that, and I always have told people, you know, when we won, and then it was okay. Can you win back to back? My answer was always, you know what? It's hard to just win one. It's hard to imagine even winning two. Not that you can't and it can't happen because it has happened. But now three in a row, all the things that have to come into alignment. And, and that's the challenge right now because that's all this team is going to – just like I talked about before, the challenge with, with uh, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. The challenge with Kansas City now is, okay, this, this is a losing season – you have failed if you don't go and win this third one. doesn't matter what you do during the regular season. really doesn't matter what you do during the playoffs other than winning. In two, and, that, and that can't be answered, and that will not stop to be talking about until you're either eliminated, eliminated from the playoffs, either in the playoffs, or you don't make it during the regular season. So whether they want to or not, and I can just hear Andy Reid now, and Andy's going, hey, guys, we're all about this season. We're, you know, you're Belichick in. I'm all about the next game. We're not thinking about that. That's going to be that's going to be the aura around them, and they're going to have to carry that. And they're good, going to be an outstanding team, and 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 they can do it in terms of carrying that around. But yeah, that's going to be the mantra, and that's going to be that pressure that is there the entire season, off season and season next year. Brian Billick of the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. So we have had uh, one reporter say that they had a, a a significant player in the NFL talk about the desire to play in in Jim Schwartz's defense and how much they'd love that. We've had uh, Joe Flacco go on a national podcast recently and talk about how, you know, people don't understand how great, you know, the Cleveland organization is now and how things have changed and how, you know, it, it was it was a joy professionalism t- from top to bottom. You know, you were at the forefront of the perceptional change in Baltimore where they were a new franchise. You came in what is it 4 years into the Ravens? Two years into that, you win a Super Bowl, and you guys were pretty consistently in the mix every single year. And that, where we kind of looked at it, is that's where guys wanted to go at the end of their career to try and chase a ring and extend their careers. How long did that take? Like, how long does it take to change how people think about you in the NFL? Well, it, it's just a matter of first you got to make that seminal, seminal step in winning a Super Bowl, and then you've got to sustain that level for a while. Uh, what that while is, I don't know. That's a good question. I think it's strong testimony uh, coming from from uh, uh, Joe Flacco, who was a part of that organization for what close to ten years, for him to make that analogy. So, and that's a, that's a guy not just saying it from the outside, who's lived in both. So 
that that's pretty strong testimony coming from Joe. If he looks at the the Browns that that way, uh, and and they're in a, a or in a division now that uh, maybe the toughest because you look at the quarterbacks when you got to go through the reigning MVP, uh, you got to go through Joe Burrow, um, and and uh, I, I've said many many times I like Deshaun Watson. I like the way he plays. Uh, I think hopefully now with the past two years kind of behind you and all the noise that when he got there and then obviously the injury last year, if you can begin with that, uh, Jim Schwartz does a phenomenal job with that defense. Um, that bodes well for Cleveland. And if they can win a championship, uh, yeah, that takes you a long way from establishing, yes, okay, we have we are an organization that can do that. We've done that. And then you've got to just continue to con- sustain it as you move along, but yeah, it's, they're, they're on the right trajectory to kind of gain that. They just now have to kind of put it together in its totality and uh, win the Super Bowl. The Browns are going to be aggressive again this off season. That's kind of the Andrew Barry's uh, modus operandi. And you look at this and they probably have one or two big moves in them this off season, given the cap and all the other stuff. So I'm curious it, it in your line of thinking where the Browns are, should they be going to this offseason thinking we got to make a splash move to help Deshaun on the offensive side of the ball, or we got to make a splash move on the defensive side of the ball to help bolster that and keep that number one? Uh, both, either or. First off, you don't. They're too good a team to think that they're just that one player away. They're they're not. When you think when you start acting like that, you're usually not. And usually, it's the quarterback and that type of thing that you hear people talking about that that's the challenge for them. Um, you're always trying to add talent, and, and you want it on both sides. I don't think there's any singular position where, boy, if, if the Browns get this, they're going to be a Super Bowl champion because uh, they're pretty darn good, and they've got good talent. So anywhere you can add it, you can make a case for obviously helping with receiving core, uh, uh, obviously a, a maybe an additional what – what a huge difference the top pass rush would make to go with Miles Garrett. That's one of those subtleties for years we were trying to – uh, at the end, when the, uh, we had Terrell Suggs, it was constantly, can we get that other guy? It doesn't have to be a future Hall of Famer, but can we? Because that really tests the offensive protection and brings the offensive coordinator of your opponent into a dilemma of how do I handle both of these sides of pressure? So, yeah, add a shutdown corner on the back end. So you could make a case in virtually every position that, boy, this would really make a difference if we could have this guy. So that's a good place to be in when you look up at the board and as opposed to, boy, if we don't get X, we're not going to be very good. That's a bad place to be. Coach, what's the latest on your friends from Signal Relief? Amazing product. You know, the advances in in, in medical technology have been incredible, like everything, and Signal Relief is the next advent in just that. It's an amazing product, standalone patch. It's not an IT patch. It's not a... TENS unit, you don't know goop or anything. Uh, you have uh, the, the way you apply it. You put it where you need it. That's the thing I love about it, that this deals with the electrical signals in your body, blocks the pain signals, that allows you to do the other things, to move the muscles and the joints. Motion is medicine, and this allows you to apply that medicine of motion to where it is you're hurting. I just got off 18 holes of golf, the golf course walking it, my lower back, and it, it removes that pain, allows you to do the other things, to work the muscles and the joint. Go to signalrelief.com. Check out the technology of it. It's really quite spectacular. Put in promo code COACH, and you get 20% off your first purchase. Coach, great stuff as always. Appreciate you. Enjoy the offseason, even though it's bittersweet. Sounds good. Brian Billick there on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. I disagree with him to some 
extend because I do think like look at how NFL teams are, are built today. That you can never have an in in the way that I agree with him, you can never have enough elite talent. You just can't. However, where you have elite talent has never mattered more. And the NFL especially, like, you know, um, Philadelphia trying to build around Jalen Hurts. They had Devontae Smith. They went and traded for A.J. Brown. Um, you know, Kansas City had Chris Jones. They had Frank Clark. They drafted George Karloftis early. Uh, they had uh, Teron Matthew, the Honey Badger. They drafted Trent McDuffie. So I I actually do think it matters where the Browns focus their aim this offseason. I am a trenches guy and a quarterback guy. So I think right now the weakest spot in the trenches, and not the weakest, that's actually not fair because they were the best one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. I think the area where you can add another upper echelon player is the defensive line. And that's something I've been all over all offseason, and I just will continue to be. I think if you can add a Khalil Mack, if you can add a Joey Bosa, if you can, and I'm just throwing out names that could be available, if you can add a Hassan Reddick, um, you know, people seem to think things like, oh, well, this guy doesn't fit this system. Um, the wide nine is pretty, pretty versatile with the guys you can bring in. Zedaria Smith had not played with his hand in his dirt or hand in the dirt until our, since his rookie season, he, he, he picked it up pretty pretty well this year. I actually wouldn't put past, past the idea of bringing back Zedarius Smith. I don't know it's the most likely thing, but like I mentioned Khalil Mack. I mentioned Hassan Reddick. I think you just need to focus on the balance of we got to have a deep roster that allows us to do what we did last year, and man, we got to go big game hunting at the key positions, which are quarterback, wide uh, really just pass catcher, but pass catcher, O-line, D-line, and if, I don't think you'll need it, but if you can go fishing for your next starting cornerback in the middle rounds, that'd be a great spot to get it as well. Uh, so great stuff with Brian Billick there. I thought it was interesting, his his explanation on the Kyle Shanahan stuff as well, because I think we've realized right now um the San Francisco defense was not as good as it's been in recent years. They still, as you saw in that game, had a lethal front four. And some of the concepts they were throwing at Pat Mahomes are confusing the hell out of Pat Mahomes. So I thought it was kind of wild that Steve Wilkes got fired today, their defensive coordinator. And it just, I think the NFL is really good at patsyism. I think they're really good at setting guys up. And I think, I think, uh, I think, Kyle Shanahan having to call a timeout in overtime to get Steve Wilkes to change the play out of zero coverage, I think is the fantastic moment where Kyle Shanahan realized he had something where he could scapegoat Steve Wilkes. I think it's despicable business. I think it is. a And listen, if Kyle Shanahan can do it, a guy that grew up in the business, I'm not saying Steve Wilkes is perfect. It's year one of his defense, and he had a pretty – thin uh, secondary from a talent perspective. So he's also not the reason he lost. Like blaming, ba blaming Steve Wilkes because Pat Mahomes went down the field and scored a touchdown would when, when your quarterback, your hand selected quarterback got you three points and you took the ball first, you put the defense in that position when you decided to take the ball first. So I just think it's really, 
fascinating. Kyle Shanahan also did talk this week about uh, the different players saying that they didn't know the overtime rules. We did say, and we told everyone as we were waiting for the coin toss, hey, review everyone with them, make sure they're sure before we go out. So we asked the position coach to do that, but I didn't cover it in a meeting on the Super Bowl week. I don't think that changes anything. We did it with our analytics department. We decided that going into the playoffs. What I think you guys know how I've explained how I make decisions with that stuff in the past. I take all the information I can get, especially ones I haven't been in, and our analytics felt that was the best way to go. But as you guys know, I don't always just go with that. I take into account what they say, what they think is right, and then I go off my gut in the heat of battle and I knew what they felt going into it. And when I think about that during the moments I have to make the decision, I think the type of game it was did match what they felt was the best way to do. It did seem more like a field goal game. And our defense had been out there for a real long time right before that. So uh, it was no, I didn't feel at all to override that at the time. Analytic decisions are made on a piece of paper. So you can read that and understand math and what they think about going off that. But that's why, but I always make it in a heat of battle with that information. And I mean, if it was like the Super Bowl the year before, the one that seemed more like a shootout, I think I might have felt a little bit differently. But having that information going in and the way ours was going, I didn't feel differently. I felt accurate with what they had recommended. We had this at the very end of yesterday's show, but we didn't have time to play it because we were up against it. And if I had heard that yesterday, I would have been able to tell you Steve Wilkes was getting fired. I don't know. I would have said Steve Wilkes. I would have said somebody's getting fired because that sounds like a defensive ass coach. And like he spent he spent 40 minutes letting you know or 40 seconds letting you know that's what analytics said to do. But he chose to do that. Like, OK, buddy. I, well, you know, it's, that's what analytics says to do. You can do the math. You got it on the paper there. But I chose to do that. And sometimes in the heat of battle, like, man, it really is impossible for some coaches just to be like, yeah, that was a decision that we set in stone at the beginning of the playoffs. And that's just, that's kind of how those decisions go so we can make the right decision in the moment. I just, I just, some coaches, and Kyle's one of those guys, some guys just can't fully give analytics credit, or in this case, the blame. Um, and with that, I just think like, I, I think Kyle Shanahan and now Steve Wilkes are paying the price for public perception. Like, I think the simple answer on why San Francisco lost the Super Bowl, they had the lesser quarterback, and they, in those final minutes, the best quarterback in the NFL won out. That's not that's not about the 49ers defense. It's not about um, Steve Wilkes. It's not really even about Kyle Shanahan. When, you, when one team has Pat Mahomes, and they're behind, they're within six or seven points of, of taking the game, Late in the game, and they have the ball last. The expectation should be that Pat Mahomes wins the game. He's now seven for seven in those late game moments, needing a touchdown, being within a touchdown of the lead or uh, of winning the game in the final. I think it's two minutes or minute of a game. He's seven for seven in his career. Brady wasn't seven for seven. Brady was something like sixty percent. I think is the number that I saw. So, like, part of this is just why can't you just say, you know, guys. I don't know that it mattered who who did what. Like I think I think in the end, Pat Mahomes did what he did to Josh Allen two years ago. He did what he did to Josh Allen this year. He did what he's done to Josh Allen his whole career, really. Um, this is just what he does. So I just think it's wild that I just think it's wild. Like I I think people are. Uh, I think there's a segment of the NFL media and fans who just wanted who wanted to stop Pat Mahomes and were pissed it didn't happen. So you got to put the blame somewhere. And I think that is diseased thinking. I think, I think fall guy, I think um, 
we got to blame somebody. I, I've seen it my entire adult life working in various companies, the urge to blame somebody instead of fixing whatever went wrong. It is to me, I'll, I'll say it again, it is disease thinking. And it is so wild to me how in a organization with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, truly brilliant football men, that one, you get defensive about a call, give them a 15-second answer, Kyle, and don't answer it again. It's that simple. And and the other, that they have to, they have again, that our thinking is we've got to blame somebody because one team lost. How about Pat Mahomes is really friggin' good? How about the Kansas City Chiefs have been there two times before? How about it's really hard to win a Super Bowl? You, you didn't get fired for not making the playoffs. All right, nobody's getting blamed because you lost in the first round by 35 points. No, no, no. Nay, nay, nay. Ah, uh, you just couldn't beat Pat Mahomes. Fire everyone. Uh, the other thing he talked about was the perception on him now as a coach that that he can't win the big game or that they can't win the big games. I mean, you'd love to fix perception because I would love to win one for what I know about football and stuff. And I know if I fix perception, that means I did everything I wanted to do, which isn't fix perception. It's win a damn Super Bowl. But I also know, like, when you say big games, like, we've got to win a bunch of big games to get to Super Bowls. We've won a lot of big games here. Uh, we've won a lot of big games to get into playoffs. The fact that we keep getting there shows you guys how much we've been game win games or big games. And I think you guys are aware of that. But it's, you know, these two Super Bowls have been tough losing to Kansas City. But... To think that if we win that, that means I can win a big game. No, that means our team won the Super Bowl. That's what I understand. You guys can have any narrative you want, but like the success or the failure, it comes down to one game. And I hope that I can be a part of a team that wins a game at the end of the year. But to say that the Niners can't win a big game would be an extremely inaccurate statement. Yeah, there's. I think we all know there's a little bit of a verbal shell game there. There's a difference between winning a big game and winning the big game. And he's being purposefully coy. Um yeah, is it a little dirty that people are now saying, ah, Kyle Shanahan can't win the big game? Yes. Has he also had three cracks at it? One as an offensive coordinator, two as a head coach? Also, yes. Like, Dan Reeves is a hell of a guy. Dan Reeves is one of the nicest people I've ever met. Dan Reeves, when I was just starting out here, offered to come on my show quite a bit during the Super Bowl, during the offseason to help because he uh, I had met him once. He was just a super nice guy. Couldn't win the big game because he didn't win the big game. You didn't win the Super Bowl. Got multiple cracks at it. And did it drive him crazy that that was the narrative on him? Probably. But that's kind of the point. Like, Andy Reid was the guy that couldn't win the big game. And then he won the big game. Marv Levy was the guy. That doesn't mean they're not really good coaches or great coaches, but it's a have or have not thing. So it doesn't matter that you beat Detroit in the NFC title game or you beat Tampa in the NFC title game or you beat anybody. No, you either won the Super Bowl or you didn't. And it's not about what's fair. Perception isn't fair. Perception most often isn't even reality. But like Kyle Shanahan, I, I found a little a little telling when guys give more give as much of a care about the perception as the reality. The reality is it sucks. You lost the Super Bowl. That should matter more than whether people think you can win a game that you've had three cracks at or not. I never knew there were so many college basketball fans uh, of the Buckeyes men's basketball program because uh, I've not heard it from them the last four years. Uh, when they were in the tournament, did not hear a lot from men's basketball fans for Ohio State. But, uh, oh, the last uh, two months, they've been activated. Uh, it was Chris Holtman. Uh, it was that guy. That guy was the problem. Uh, and, they listen, you need to go back to the standard of the Randy Ayers years, the, the Jim O'Brien years. I mean, 
Ohio State has such an illustrious history at men's basketball the last 20 years. Like, Chris Holtman wasn't cutting it. I get it. We got to get back to 20 wins and and getting bounced out in the second round of the, the NCAA tournament. And so Chris Holtman was fired today, and now I'm going to bring on somebody to talk about the topic that I completely just crapped all over. Uh, college basketball on Fox. You also know him from host of the Big East Shootaround, Contary on the field of 68. He's Cleveland's own. He makes Cleveland proud every time he's out there. He might actually be the most lovable human being in sports media. John Fanta joins us on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. What's up, buddy? Welcome to the show. I just get that love from you. Happy Valentine's Day, Nick Wilson. It's it's a pleasure to be joining you. Thanks so much. And, yes, uh, I think we've seen a lot of Buckeye fans and followers, including some guy that's on in the mornings on this station, come out of the woodwork and let us all know their feelings on the state of the basketball program, which ended a tenure of the Holtman tenure today. I just think Lima likes to fire people in Columbus. Like he was trying, he was made a run at 97 uh, one late last year. He's made a run at Ryan day the last two years. I just think he, you know, if it's in Cleveland, people get mad if he tried to fire the coach every year. So now he's just like, well, I'm close enough and powerful enough to get those guys fired. Let's go there. Right. And, and I'll tell you what, this, this was going to happen. It was inevitable at this point. You know, it's, it's remarkable for Ohio state that you look at back-to-back seasons for this team and they've gotten off to good starts, but they have not, they have just totally unraveled when you get to the most important time of year. I mean, you start the year 12 and two, you don't even have a thought that you're going to fire your head coach in season, but it's been that bad for the Buckeyes two and nine in their last 11 games, a second straight year where they've collapsed last year. They started the year 10 and three looked good. Got two wins at the Maui invitational totally unraveled. That wasn't shocking because of how much youth Holtman had on his roster. The thought was you can get one pass. You can't get two. When you combine that with the fact he never broke through, he never got the program to the second week of the NCAA tournament. And Ohio State's a top 20 job to 25 job in college basketball. It's right there. It's not top 10, but it is very much top 20 because of the resources and the assets. I'm going to tell you what happened here. This was done in season for a couple of reasons. Number one, whoever your NIL people are in the hoops world had to have said to Gene Smith, we're not giving money. We're not going to be giving the same amount of money if Chris Holtman's back as head coach. And, oh, by the way, we're not going to give it right now because you need to make a change. You need to make a change. A week ago, Smith told Holtman that he was okay, that he would make it through the season. If he made the NCAA tournament, he'd probably keep his job. But money changes everything. And I think Ohio State's money people jumped in here and said, enough is enough. Make a change now. Let's get ahead of the curve and start this search now. We're able to get ahead of the curve, maybe get a candidate that if we fired him at the end of the season, we couldn't get uh, if we didn't do this now. And this is the world that we're in. This needed to happen. This is not the standard that Ohio State basketball has been at. You know, Fab Mata, what makes this a desirable job, Nick, is Fab Mata, for 13 years, had Ohio State among the heavyweights in the sport. They've got the money. They've got the brand. We know they're a football-first school. But in basketball, they should not just be an NCAA tournament team every year. They should be making the Sweet 16 every other season, if not every season with the right guy for the job. And it's a sustainable job for a coach. It's not a job that you take and then you're looking to go elsewhere. It is the destination. It's too good of a job, too good of a program to have two straight 
bad years in the Big Ten. This is indicative here. Ohio State and Michigan are in second to last and last in the Big Ten Conference. They shouldn't be second to last or last the Big Ten Conference in anything, nor alone men's basketball. And that's why Ohio State made the smart move today. They'll be able to get a head start on their search over a Michigan. Juwan Howard's a dead man walking. He, he is going to eventually, his tenure's going to end here, but they're not ending it right now. Ohio State's ahead of the curve in that regard. They ripped the Band-Aid off today and had to. Is it just as simple as change the head coach and things will change, or do, do other factors need to improve to get the most out of this men's basketball program? That is a great question. In my humble opinion, it is as simple as that. You've got to identify the right guy for the job, and there's a deli line of candidates that we can get to here in a moment. But I just think, like, you don't start 12-2 and two and 10-3 and three in years and then unravel if you don't have the right pieces. They, they can recruit talent. They brought in a top-10 recruiting class last year. It's not a question of talent or being able to recruit or being able to pay money. It's a question right now for this program of they've got to have a big game coach. I think Holtman cracked under the pressure of some big games with this program. So, Nick, it is that simple. It's not like they have to rededicate resources or examine how they're operating their basketball program. Ohio State has every resource in the world. And don't tell me they can't have a great atmosphere down in Columbus for basketball. They've had it before. They'll have it again if they win. You do have to give people a reason to go to games, and you've got to be able to win in basketball in Columbus. It's not as simple as just showing up to games. They'll get that atmosphere back. But I I sensed apathy. And in Columbus, apathy is a bad feeling. Uh, Obviously, we know there's some level of apathy from a sector of fans with the football program. But this isn't apathy. If Chris Holtman made the NCAA tournament again last year, and lost in the second round. And this is what I tried to talk to Lima about when we were having these discussions. Like, they're not going to fire him. But when you combine not breaking through at all in the NCAA tournament with now two straight downfalls, like, the standard has to be bigger than that. And Chris Holtman was not a bad coach, but he had a really bad ending to his tenure. And when he was at his best at Ohio State, it wasn't good enough. But make no mistake about it. The reason why this move was done today is because they know how long the line is going to be of interested candidates. They can start rolling through that line now, be proactive, turn their entire focus on this search, which they have to get right. Because Ohio State can't trickle two bad years into four or five bad years in any sport, nor alone one that is an absolute priority behind football. All right, give me the sexy names. Give me the logical names. Okay, well, the sexy name that Ohio State fans have been talking to me about all afternoon, I'm going to just tell you right now, there's no chance it's going to happen. So I know that there are people out there who want it to happen. I'm, going to tell you, I'm telling you right now, there's no chance. You know, Ohio State fans are saying to me, what about Jay Wright? It's never going to happen. He's done with coaching. He doesn't want to coach. So get that out of the equation right now. It's not happening sounds like it's happening yeah right it's not happening um the the names that are logical sean miller at xavier is going to get a phone call i would imagine sean miller has won over 70 percent of the games he's coached and he's been to four elite eights he's an ncaa tournament coach he's done a great job at xavier and now nick all those issues with the ncaa investigation are in the rearview mirror he's clear of that he took xavier to the sweet 16 last year the program hadn't even made the tournament in several years He got them right back on the map. 
he's a call that you have to make, and he's a really good coach. Greg McDermott at Creighton is another coach who's had a lot of success at Creighton, has put them on the national map. If, if he's looking for a change of scenery, he's a guy I would consider. He's been at Creighton for 14 years. He made the Elite Eight last year. He's made Sweet 16s in two of the last three seasons. He has done a really nice job with that Creighton program. Some others. Dusty May at Florida Atlantic. At some point, Dusty May is going to make a move. He went to the Final Four last year while at FAU. Lamont Paris at South Carolina is 21-3 and on the season. Paris was an assistant for Bo Ryan and Greg Gard in the Big Ten for seven years, and Lamont is from Ohio. He's from Finley, Ohio. So he has some Ohio roots. He's now done a terrific job at a hard place to win South Carolina. I'd watch out for his name. One wild card to the picture. UCLA's Mick Cronin, who Ohio Ohio College basketball fans know him because he was the head coach at Cincinnati. Would Mick be interested in a move closer home? Does he want to get on planes in Westwood and fly all over the Big Ten to Minnesota and Nebraska and Ohio State? He might want to come back to the Midwest. He could have a better NIL situation. I know it's hard to believe. But UCLA doesn't have great – it's not what it used to be. This is not John Wooden UCLA. They're, they're nowhere near where they used to be as a brand. And, as, and people don't care as much about college basketball in Los Angeles. Maybe Mick considers a move back to Ohio. It's a high buyout number. Granted, I'm a man that likes to watch the world burn. I think Rick Pitino would be a hilarious call to make. Well, you know what? Never say never uh, because he's, he, with Rick Pitino, you just never know. Uh, I highly doubt that that would happen. But, but, and I think Ohio State looks at the situation of, like, can we find a guy for the next 10 to 15 years? And there are guys out there who fit that bill, who could absolutely fit that number. Patino's a year in at St. John's. He, he's 71 years old. If you hired him, it'd be a matter of three or four years, and then he's, you know, he's probably hanging it up, which is why he wasn't on more high major radars when St. John's hired him. He didn't have to move when he took the St. John's job from Iona. Never say never. College sports right now is crazy. College basketball is on its head. This isn't the last in-season firing we're going to see. The coaching carousel does not stop. Uh, but if, I wouldn't rule anybody out today. You know why? Ohio State's they, money's not an object for them. They're going to go and get the guy that they want. And there are other high major coaches who would leave for Ohio State in the same, same job. That's absolutely the case. I just want to see him in an Ohio State tracksuit. That's all. That's that's just where. I'm, and I, it'd be a lot of high theater. We'd talk the most uh, Ohio State men's college basketball talk ever because that guy cannot stop talking and getting on people's headlines. And that's really all I care about: winning, losing, <laughs> winning, schmoozing. Who cares? John, you are a prince. We we love you, buddy. Great stuff. Keep killing it, man. Love you too, Nick. Thanks so much for having me. I'm sure we'll talk when March rolls around, my friend. That'll be fun. Fantasy season is coming up. That's right. Lima has been where everybody that does a daily sports talk show has is has been at some point. Um, in his case, it's you know they got a little Luigi Lima. That's why I call him. I know his name is Mason. I just think Luigi Lima is objectively a hilarious name, and I really wish they would have you know aired on the sake of of comedy. But they're home with a little baby. And it's so funny when you do this every day. I'm not saying this is what happens with Lima, but when you do it every day, 
you can start to think you're the reason sports talk exists. Like if you hear like Mike Francesa talk, Mike is pretty sure he invented the format. Hey, he and dog like that. They're the reason like, and it's, it's, it's a trap. It's because people say nice things about you and people like your takes or don't like your takes and you enjoy that. And so what happens is you start to think like, man, this place would fall apart if I wasn't here. And then you go on vacation or you have a baby and you go on paternity leave or you go on literally any sort of vacation and you get stir crazy because you forget what it's like to not be able to like shout your sports take at somebody. And so I, for one, laud because you go and it's also the worst time to do this because it's cabin fever time. Like I have cabin fever and I leave my house every day, like by Sunday night. I just, I start to kind of get a little edgy at the house because I've been trapped in a house with four women for uh, two days, you know, three nights, and I, I need to go see people that want to talk about the things I want to talk about. So I say that to say, you start to go crazy without the ability to talk sports to people. So Lima today, I think he gave you the kind of take that happens when you get all pent up and you haven't been able to talk sports. It's not a bad take. It's not, I think it's a hot take. It's not the biggest hot take, but it's definitely the le- the last one I've heard today. Any other quarterback, had they been going up against Lamar Jackson, had they been going up against any other quarterback in the AFC, is Kyle Shanahan not the Super Bowl champ today? Furthermore, I'll get really crazy. If there were a draft tomorrow in the NFL, you get to pick coaches, front office members, football players. Here is my order. Patrick Mahomes is going number one, right? We yeah. all agree. Okay. Yeah. Is anybody yes. taking anybody else? No. Yes. Number two. I mean, I might take Joe Burrow. You might take what? Josh Allen. Some might take Lamar. I, I don't know how you could do that with without postseason. What about C.J. Stroud? I mean, fine. That's fine. He's won a playoff game. Okay. 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 Continue. I'm taking Kyle Shanahan and his hand-picked GM next. I am taking him very next in that draft. That's how much I believe in a coach who has been able to take Jimmy Garoppolo to the Super Bowl so and you're have taking, him in the fourth quarter with a chance to win. You're, you're, and then Brock Purdy, the last player drafted, who has obvious limitations. So I like I like where his head is at. Because I do think if you did a quarterback and head coach redraft in the NFL, and we did that every single year, it'd actually be a lot of fun. It would blow the NFL draft out of the water if we did that. But I do think that there are a healthy amount of current starting quarterbacks that you would take the first coach over. It wouldn't be Kyle Shanahan. No. Um, If you were going for a young guy that is a relatively young guy, I think Kyle's almost 50 now, but a relatively young guy, offensive guru, you cannot convince me that Sean McVay wouldn't be drafted before Kyle Shanahan. By the way, Shanahan's only 44. 44? That's very close to 50. That's I, I said I, he was close to 50. Well, I didn't say. It's like more than half a decade, Nick. Okay, That's still closer than if I, he was 35. How about that? But no, I think McVay would be the pick before. I, also, I know Andy Reid is, is older now. He is 65. I believe that's correct. Yes. Thank you. Got one. Uh, but I think Andy Reid would be picked before either guy. But I do think, like, I think if you're going to start drafting coaches over players, I think you're going to go for somebody on the offensive side of the ball or at the very least somebody that's going to call their side of the ball at an elite level. It is ridiculous to say that you would take um, – with how the NFL works, it's ridiculous to say you'd take uh, Kyle Shanahan over 
anybody in a draft that wasn't Mahomes, Allen, or uh, who's oh Joe Burrow. It is just absolutely embarrassing and ridiculous. That's not really how the NFL works. Like how the NFL works is, or how I think the NFL would work in this scenario. I shouldn't say definitively. I think you would see all the guys where they were either had already played at a high level, had either won a Super Bowl, been in the playoffs, or that you thought had a chance to be a franchise quarterback. I think after all of those guys, then you would take the first quarterback. And you would probably pair them immediately with a guy like a Jared Goff or a Brock Purdy or a Tua Tungavailoa or a Baker Mayfield or a Derek Carr, a guy who we understand there are limitations there, but with the right head coach can be the best version of themselves, and that gives you a chance to win. But I don't think people realize how many how many quarter I don't think Lima realizes how many quarterbacks would in fact go before the first head coach in this hypothetical quarterback head coach draft. Mahomes is obvious. Mahomes, uh, honestly, Mahomes, Mahomes might go number one in an all-time NFL redraft. It'd be him. It'd be Brady. It'd be there'd be a couple guys, but like Jim Brown would be there. But like Mahomes, like it's it's almost unfair to say. Well, in a Total redraft of the NFL right now. Who are you taking one? You know who you're taking one. You're taking Pat Mahomes. That being said, you're taking Mahomes before you take the best head coach. You're taking um, uh, easily Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. You're taking Lamar Jackson. You are because he's an elite-level quarterback. I'll take an elite-level quarterback with a coach that I might think is really good and not great because Andy Reid was supposed to be really good, not great. Then he found Pat Mahomes, and all of a sudden he's winning – uh, Super Bowls at uh, at about 60% in a five-year clip. We'll take that. Bill Belichick was a below 500 head coach before Tom Brady. He gets Tom Brady. He's winning six Super Bowls in 20 years and constantly in the playoffs. The dynamic here is, guys, coaches are important, but the importance of the quarterback compared to anything, and that is edge rusher, that is left tackle, that is wide receiver, that is franchise shutdown corner, that is head coach. It has never been more important to be elite in one area and everywhere else. You can just be okay. So we got those three quarterbacks, four quarterbacks, because I threw uh, Justin Herbert. You'd take Justin Herbert before you would take the first head coach in a draft. Trevor Lawrence, he is perceived to have franchise quarterback. C.J. Stroud would go before the best head coach. Uh, honestly, this is a hot take. Jordan Love would no go. No way. Yes. There's no way. There's no, no way. way. No way. Does he just go full yeah, family no guy? Way. Uh, Jordan Love would. You, I'm just going to keep pissing you off. Jo- uh, Kyler you're, Murray, you're seriously putting Jordan Love in that category already? Yeah, I mean, the like I think he's got to do it for a couple years, Nick. I mean, he had a good stretch here well, and there this season. See, but you're like- you're confusing success with potential. The NFL is drunk on potential, and you can't tell me about potential with coaches when you have definitive well, potential. I have, I have examples of coaching that, like a guy like Kyle Shanahan. If that's the one you want to argue, like I have examples of Kyle Shanahan actually overperforming with quarterbacks that aren't up to par with those other guys. Isn't that funny how quickly it became about Brock Purdy and not Kyle Shanahan for some people? But I, I'm not done yet. Well, not, not on me. Like, I, I've never been one to sit here and say that Brock Purdy was all that. But I certainly understand that Kyle Shanahan, if he didn't have Kyle Shanahan as his head coach, he wouldn't be where he is right now. You want to hear the the real hot one, guys? Because there are other coaches that I think would go. I think Justin Fields would go before wow. the best head coach in a draft. Wow. You're for, oh, you, no, you're not even ready for wow. it. You're not even ready for I it. I mean, Nick, because Nick's, Nick's taking stupid pills now. Because I always take them. Um, they taste good. Is mayonnaise an instrument? Deshaun Watson would go before the best head coach in the NFL. 
I mean, I know a lot of people aren't going to want to hear it in this people. town. There's no way. The, you just saying there's no way isn't the the counter argument. Why? Why is well, there no way? Because here here's and we're talking about. I don't think a lot of people in this town think Kevin Stefanski is the best coach in the NFL. But mm-hmm. even say that he's the best coach in the NFL. Mm-hmm. How many people are taking Kevin? If you had to choose one or the other right now, what is the percentage of people taking Kevin Stefanski over to Sean Watson in this town right now? In this town, I don't think that's a great indicator. You've got you've got okay. Spread it to the whole NFL. Um, I think it changes when I you think start it's talking better, to. I think it's way NFL over fifty percent that would take Kevin Stefanski over Deshaun Watson. I don't know how we quantify that because I don't think a Twitter poll accurately captures this. Deshaun Watson has been a franchise quarterback in the NFL. And yeah, a four franchise years ago. It doesn't matter. He's been a franchise. Kyler Murray was a franchise quarterback two years ago, and now people want to trade him. That's perception. That's not reality. That is that is recency bias. And if you said uh, honestly, if you said to me, you well, can you have talked about potential. Like what has the, what indicators? I'm not saying he can't do it. We're all hopeful that he can. But what indicators has Deshaun given you in the last two seasons of play that tells you that his potential is higher than what Kevin's? Stefanski can offer as a head coach. I mean, I don't know if you saw this. He actually played really well in yeah, five games. Yeah, in a couple games, year. Nick. But well, that- no, but that's but that but again, that the point is, if I say what what uh, what evidence is Kevin Stefanski? And now I'm getting it sound like I'm crapping all because over because he's Kevin. been good with pretty much every quarterback he's ever coached, and he also's had some down years with quarterbacks that he's coached too, including have, Baker Mayfield in 2021. There were very obvious reasons for why those years were down. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's a pass for Kevin. And I'm not trying well, to I'm not trying to bash Kevin, but I think yeah, we but just, you're giving passes you're, doing, to, you're but, giving passes to Deshaun Watson for why he didn't play well, and he hasn't played. He did play that, well. He has in a couple games, but not consistently. Well, he hasn't see, but done now that you're moving the, the the, the goalposts. No, like, I'm he not. Has you're moving well. the goalposts because no. you're making a different argument for the head coach as you are for a quarterback. You're willing to make excuses for the quarterback, but not for the head coach. Yes, because the coach, time after time after time, gets the benefit of the doubt, and it's the quarterback that gets overjudged and and and. Every single play is is talked about to a ridiculous degree. The Brock Purdy thing is the anomaly. The Brock Purdy thing is, well, Kyle Shanahan must not have had a good game if Brock Purdy didn't win you that game. No, Brock Purdy isn't good enough. How about that? Like, the, the number one thing that matters. Listen, the, the simple, the, the point that the Super Bowl proved, if you've got a really nice quarterback, cool, nice story, cute story. You ain't winning the Super Bowl. If you've got Pat Mahomes, your only defense against Pat Mahomes is somebody that is a franchise quarterback, or that could be. So, yeah, do I do I know for certain Deshaun is going to be a franchise quarterback again? No. But because you've seen it and because he still is relatively young, I, if you're putting your like I don't know Kevin can be an elite quarter uh, elite head coach either. So if if the options are I've got a quarterback that has been elite but hasn't been for a minute and I've got a head coach who's never been elite but has had some success, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take the quarterback. Like I like I I think there are fifteen. Okay, now I'm throwing out a number. I did not think this number out. There are fifteen quarterbacks. I'm just going to do it confidently. There are fifteen quarterbacks you'd take before you get to the first head coach, because Deshaun I, would be the fifteenth guy, or he might be the fourteenth guy, and then maybe Kyler Murray's the fifteenth guy. But the number one thing matters. And listen, people don't agree with this anymore. It's not thirty years ago. Don Shula doesn't come in and, and save the Miami Dolphins and take them to the undefeated season. I mean, I now I think there's seven or eight tops quarterbacks that you would take before the first head coach. Uh, well, so who are they? I think Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, uh, C.J. Stroud. Did I mean Josh Allen already? Lamar Jackson. I think he did say. Josh okay, so I'll just go: Mahomes, <laughs> Jackson, Allen, Herbert. Stroud, Burrow, in no particular order. Obviously, Mahomes is one. 
those are six, seven guys there that I named. And there might be an eighth guy, but I, I'm, it's not obvious to me right now. I, but again, I think you're thinking of this like it's even. A An elite head coach is not worth an elite quarterback because an elite head coach without an elite quarterback isn't elite. I think that's the simplest way to look at it. And I think if you ask people, you can take somebody that could be elite or will be elite. It happens in the NFL every year with how we do the draft. Somebody who might be elite at quarterback over somebody that you think might already be elite at head coach. Ideally, you try and pair them together. But I think the more we see Bill Belichick without Tom Brady, the more we see um, Andy Reid with uh, Pat Mahomes and who Andy was beforehand. Like Andy had an buttload of success with all these really decent quarterbacks. He never had a franchise quarterback yeah. until Pat Mahomes. I mean, I hate to put Pat Mahomes in this argument because Pat Mahomes is so far above everybody else that, like, it's not even fair. Like, you can't even – nobody in their right mind would obviously say a coach above Pat Mahomes. We, we could just leave that name out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, And there's probably two or three others we could just leave out of it. But he's I, far and away the best. I mean, I think your list, which was more but selective I think to say than 15 mine. 15 quarterbacks, there's, I'm, I don't see that. 216-474-0092. So Lima's argument was that Kyle Shanahan would be the fourth pick in a head coach quarterback draft because of the importance of Shanahan. And the three guys that would go before him are all quarterbacks, Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen, and and Joe Burrow. Do you agree with that? And do you agree with the idea that, that more teams or more people in the NFL would take Deshaun Watson in a redraft before they take Kevin Stefanski? We have a, a poll to alert you about, Keith. What do you have for the people here? Well, I put a poll up because of our uh, quarterback coach debate here and how many quarterbacks would go before the first head coach if the NFL had a redraft with both uh, being eligible. Mm-hmm. And I said, how many quarterbacks would be picked before the first head coach if a redraft was possible? I put one to three, four to six, seven to nine, or ten or more. Okay. Right now, what are the... Well, uh, I just put the poll up. Just so put it up? We'll, we'll have right. to regroup maybe the beginning of the next segment. Afternoon 923 fan, yes? Yes. Okay. I think you already said that. <laughs> I might have blacked out. The poll's coming up in about 20 minutes here. I found my 15 quarterbacks. I found the 15 quarterbacks that if I were running a franchise, I would take before the first head coach. And then he'd be fired three years later. No, because I'd own the franchise. Owner, I don't know if we, I don't know if we have learned this lesson yet. Owners don't get fired unless you really, really step in it in a big way. Uh, Mahomes, Jackson, Allen, and Herbert, that's you and I agree. Stroud, Lawrence, Burrow, Jordan Love, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, hot take. Hot take. Aaron Rodgers, Anthony Richardson, Jalen Hurts, Justin you're, Fields. You're taking quarterbacks that barely touched the field. Justin Fields. Well, yeah, he was the number four pick last year. You, you it put, must be good. He must be good, yeah. He actually did look good this year, you jerk. Uh, Justin Fields, 12. Uh, I'm sorry, he would be 13. Bryce Young at 14 and 15 to Sean Watson. All of those you, guys. You watched Bryce Young last year and you're willing to say Well, that? no, the, the point is a year ago, he was the number one prospect in the NFL. And I and you got to see him play. What'd you think? Well, no, that's not the point. That's The NFL is a potential machine. It's why... Three years into sucking in the NFL, Sam Darnold got dealt for a two, a four, and a six. It's why people are talking about Justin Fields, who has not consistently been one of the best players in the NFL, but he's been an electric guy on the field sporadically. It's why people are talking about him going for maybe a first-rounder this year. I, I, I think what you underestimate is 
the love, uh, like there's a reason why there's like eight coaches that have, have, have only been in their jobs since like 2017. Like it's Andy Reid since 2013. And then it's a bunch of guys from 2017, Sean McVay and, and Kyle Shanahan. 75% of the league has not been in their jobs for more than the last four years. Why is that? Because coaches, or rather, uh, owners look at coaches as replaceable. And maybe that would drive up the scarcity value would, but like, guys, we all agree Mike Vrabel's a good head coach. Mike Vrabel does not have a job. When Mike Vrabel got fired, there were half the jobs the NFL still to be claimed. If you if you put somebody we all agree is a really good or potentially great quarterback, if you released him tomorrow, uh, if, if you released Justin Fields tomorrow, you would have eight teams vying for his services and to pay him significant money tomorrow. And that's a guy that people, people that can't agree on whether he can be a franchise quarterback still. 216-474-0092. In a total NFL, that's a quarterback, head coach, the whole thing. Redraft. I yeah, I nope. You know I'm gonna let that one out too. I don't think the first non-quarterback drafted is a head coach. That's spicy little fiddle to come. Uh, but how many coaches or how many quarterbacks would go in a total redraft of the NFL before the first head coach? Let's go with Fred. Welcome to the show, Fred. Hey, Shanahan would be second only to Mahomes. He got there with Purdy. He got there with Garoppolo. He could get there with almost anybody. Yeah, can he win with almost anybody? Because that seems to be a problem right now. If Andy Reid if Andy Reid had Purdy, Casey would not have been there. Oh, okay, Crystal, and, and, and if Crystal had Mahomes, they win it by fifty. But those are hypotheticals. Case, that's, that's way, but that's not what happened. Hypothetical. You think Fields is a top fifteen quarterback? That's hypothetical. Uh, that's not what I said. I said in a redraft, I'm saying list. he would go because of his upside. The, the, Shanahan has way more upside than anyone but Mahomes. Yeah, because nobody loses in the Super Bowl like uh, like Kyle Shanahan. Fred, I thank you. I don't think anybody shares. I think uh, there's plenty of people who still think Kyle Shanahan is a great head coach. But in terms of the people that were over the moon about what he had done uh, up until Jimmy Garoppolo, like, I, honestly, losing that game, whether it's fair or not, losing that game to Pat Mahomes did – it was his quarterbacks. Like, what are we doing? Like, this is the guy that's chosen the slap-ass quarterbacks, and we're like, look what he's doing with this. Isn't this amazing? It's his gun. He committed the crime with his own gun. Oh, yeah, what about that Trey Lance thing? That's the guy I want picking quarterbacks, the guy that lucked into a good, not great quarterback in the seventh round when he lost his ass, when he lost the house on Trey Lance. Sorry, I lost my perspective there. Robert, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us? You having fun over there, guy? Some days. Today yeah. is one of them. So this, yeah. So Keith might need to help me out answer this one, and I'm not saying this to talk smack about you, Nick. It's just I generally don't know if you know the answer to this. If a quarterback is still counting against a cap hit, are they still technically under contract or controlled by the team? Yes. Well, unless it's dead oh. cap. Okay. Because even though technically the new league year doesn't begin for what, another few weeks to so a month. Since Brady was, even though he retired, since Brady's still under control by Tampa, wouldn't he still be considered for this redraft? And if he is, that's going to kind of reset everything if you're putting Brady into the equation. So what you're saying is I now have 16 quarterbacks that I would take before a head coach might go. 
Yeah, I'm just saying. It's, uh, I figured I'll call it in and let you know because uh, you're forgetting uh, someone very important if he's still technically under control by Tampa. I can't believe Keith forgot about Tom Brady. Robert, we appreciate you, buddy. Just, I mean, you're supposed to be the assistant brand manager, for God's sakes. Um, do I want to do it now? Do I not want to do it now? Uh, head coach would not be the first quarterback, uh, non-quarterback off the board. It would be an edge rusher or an elite cornerback. It would, and honestly, the the guy that I'm going to say, it'd be Miles Garrett. It'd be Miles Garrett and Michael Parsons. That'd be the first non-quarterback taken in a redraft. I I think we've I think we massively over and like listen, head coaches are still important and more important in the NFL than they are in Major League Baseball and in the NBA, where they've basically been rendered useless because of. Uh, the superstar machine of the NBA, and because of a bunch of uh, Harvey, uh, I'm sorry, Ivy League nerds in baseball, which I say with respect, because one day they already run the country. I was going to say one day they run, they already run the world. It's okay, but just because NFL head coaches are more important than NHL, NBA, and MLB head coaches or or managers, doesn't mean that they're as important as one of the 75 best players in the NFL. But yeah, Kyle Shanahan can drop a hell of an offense. He doesn't tackle. He doesn't throw the ball. He doesn't block. The two most important things you can do, you can either throw touchdowns or you can stop touchdowns. When all those guys that are franchise players are off the board, then call me about Kyle Shanahan. And again, Kyle Shanahan, I'll take Sean McVay over. They're the same guy. They have photographic memories. They know the game inside out. They can scheme up any play you want. They can. They have the perfect system, and one of those guys has a Super Bowl. Both have been to Super Bowls. Both have lost Super Bowls. One of them has a ring. So, and honestly, we're we can like, do we really think Kyle Shanahan at forty four? That's young ish in the NFL. Do we really think Kyle Shanahan's the the first pick of head coaches? Because. I think there was a reason why it took him a while to get that first head coaching gig. His personality ain't great, Bob. All right, so I got a a, a, a much easier to relate to head coach who actually has a Super Bowl ring and can do everything the other guy can do. Ah, right, yeah, you, let's take the pain in the ass first. Let's take the guy that's impossible to relate to in Kyle Shanahan. The guy who scapegoats his defensive coordinator. And this is not a recency bias thing. It's not. But... If a year ago you had said uh, Shanahan or Vrabel, it would have been a conversation. A year later, if you had said Shanahan or McVay, it's the same answer. It's Sean McVay. I even think Andy Reid goes before Kyle Shanahan. Because the other thing that we love and the other thing we overrate when it comes to hiring head coaches is 100% does the guy have a ring? And is he not 72 like Bill Belichick? So if you're drafting for a quarterback, you're drafting for elite potential. Somebody you can sell to the fan base, this guy's going to be your franchise quarterback. If you're drafting a head coach, you better have a ring. Kyle Shanahan, you have none. Sit your ass down. You're Aaron Rodgers in the draft room in 2005, just praying somebody's going to fill out that draft card. Taking a look quick, look quick, a quick look here at the poll. Wow. Looking pretty good here early. About 46 votes uh, at afternoon 923 fan. How many quarterbacks would be picked before the first head coach in a NFL redraft with players and coaches? 39% of people saying 10 or more. That is the leading vote getter at this point.
continue to support my point. You feel pretty good about 39%? Uh, is it a bigger number than, let's say, 33%? Is it the winning number? Yeah. All right. Well, listen, when you get elected president, you don't care how many people voted for you. You just care you won the damn election. So I'm going to take this victory into the next segment. You guys can vote there at afternoon 923 The Fan. Daryl and I got to talking yesterday. And it's and it's funny because then, like, I started to hear other people, and I'm, I'm not saying they're taking our take. I realize how we're setting this up. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I heard Ken say this, uh, very similar things on the morning show today. And I've started to hear more people kind of echo this. And the second they hired Ken Dorsey and the second that they – kind of promised we're going to tear this thing down and we're going to rebuild it. While there's a big part of me that takes that kind of with a grain of salt because I was promised a better looking offense that fit Deshaun Watson a year ago and I did not see that this year. And so I'm somebody who I kind of try and look ahead and kind of read the tea leaves at what I think might happen. And I was a little cynical of it last year, but we didn't talk about it as much because we didn't have a reason to doubt them. Now we do. And I just want Kevin Stefanski to succeed because the days of coaching search radio, eh, don't need those. The days of, I want Deshaun to succeed because uh, the days of, should we get Justin Fields, uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, oh gosh, who are the other ones? Uh, Russell Wilson or Ryan Tannehill, those days sucked. They belong in Pittsburgh now. Take care of them, pat them on the head, make sure to feed them three times a day. That's what you get, Pittsburgh. So I have no other recourse than to root for this thing to succeed. But I also understand that coaches are stubborn. And coaches are, even brilliant people like Kevin Stefanski can have blind spots. So I worry about Kevin. Because the only thing that can derail Kevin at this point is if he doesn't do what he's saying he's going to do and he doesn't get the most out of Deshaun next year. We just we look at this as either Deshaun is good enough next year or not. We look at this as Deshaun is healthy for uh, 17 games or not. The reality is both of those things can be in between. And the more in between any one of those are, that that is the only danger for Kevin Stefanski. I don't want Kevin St- I want Kevin Stefanski to win. I really enjoyed this year. Sands the playoffs. I really I would like to see him next year in the playoffs. But with all this being said because this team is going to rebuild this offense and it's around Deshaun Watson. I think something that was proven last year, guys, I think the offense that they put out there was fit perfectly to Joe Flacco. Not because that's what they, that's how they designed it, although they did tweak it for him. Uh, you do that with every quarterback, you at least tweak it. But because Joe Flacco, his best year in the NFL was in that Gary Kubiak system, which is a West Coast under the under the center, uh, you know, play action kind of game. Very similar to the one that Arthur Smith got uh, hired as a head coach in Atlanta off what he did in Tennessee. So guys like Joe Flacco or a guy like Ryan Tannehill, perfect fit for the Kevin Stefanski offense for the Gary Kubiak offense. Deshaun Watson is not a perfect fit for that. And that, as much as anything, has been proven the last two years. But if they really do what they say they're going to do, it's no longer going to make sense to bring back Joe Flacco. And in some ways, like, I look at I look at Joe Flacco and think, like, that's a Rocky story. Like, yeah, the Rocky franchise is pretty good. Creed. Actually, no, it's Creed. Creed, that first Creed movie was perfect. 
It had every Rockyism you wanted. And at the end of the movie, you really you fell in love with that Creed character, Adonis Creed. And then they went out and made two more. And while theoretically you and I didn't ask for it, the movie, the movie theater or the, the movie companies did ask for it, and that's why we had it. But if you just stopped at Creed, if you didn't go Creed 2 and Creed 3, if you just stopped at Creed, that movie would stand alone as a damn near perfect boxing movie. Joe Flacco is Creed. If you look at the story arc of this year with Joe Flacco in Cleveland specifically, perfect. Sign off a couch in November. He steps in. He was not. He was going to be the break glass in case of emergency. DTR was the starter. DTR gets hurt. All of a sudden, Joe gets signed. Joe is starting week one, uh, his first week there against the Rams, and looked looked good that week one. We had no idea what was coming against Jacksonville and Chicago, and then when things really went up a notch against Houston and New York. And so it didn't end perfectly because you lost in the playoffs, but like the first Rocky, eh, he lost at the end. In Creed, he had to lose to get to the win, right? So the point is, I'm really worried that if the Browns force bringing back Joe Flacco, because it's going to make you and me happy emotionally, I worry you're going to ruin the great story that was Joe Flacco. So, and I don't think they're going to do that, by the way. I just don't think. The bottom line is, guys, I don't think Joe Flacco fits the best offense that fits Deshaun Watson. And there's this thing, well, you any quarterback can fit. Any, no, they can't. You, you couldn't put Kirk Cousins in the offense that Pat Mahomes runs right now, and it'd be seamless. You can't put Pat Mahomes in the offense that Lamar Jackson ran under Greg Roman. The, the first X amount of years of his career, and he'd be the same Pat Mahomes. The system, while I do think great quarterbacks are great quarterbacks and you learn how to win with them and you learn how to, like, just smart. You don't even need a great coach. You need a smart coach. You need, you need a coach to get out of his own damn way, build the best offense for that guy. Uh, you need a front office that puts the best weapons around that guy that fits what he wants to do. If you do those two things, you can win a buttload of, buttload of games. But... In terms of stylistically what they're comfortable with, Joe is most comfortable under center in the play-action game where everything sets up those long down-the-field throws. And with Deshaun, it's out of the shotgun. It's spread concepts. It's it's three receivers and a tight end wide. It is uh, maybe you know six linemen. When I say six linemen, I mean the five offensive linemen, the tight end playing off the line or on the line and three wide receivers spread out and a running back in the backfield. Like, it is a spread offense. That doesn't mean it's a total spread offense. It's not going to look like Urban Meyer's offense with Tim Tebow in 2008. But, like, that's kind of where we're going with it. So I'm not rooting for Joe to not be back. I'm rooting for Joe Flacco from now until the end of time. Because his character, what a good dude he was, how quickly he ingratiated himself to his teammates, he was a huge pivotal part of one of the most fun runs we've ever had. It doesn't mean he's going to fit what you're doing going forward. And I realize there's a there's a large segment of Browns fans that would choose Joe Flacco over Deshaun Watson. No NFL franchise would. That doesn't mean you're wrong for liking Joe more than the other guy or liking him as much as the other guy. Which leads us to the most important offseason Big board we can unveil. 
and that is the Browns' backup quarterback big board. Now, you guys know we basically got Stephen Vogt hired because he was on the Guardians' managerial big board. At one point, we had 40 names, pros, cons, should they, shouldn't they. We crossed some names off when they crossed them off, and then Stephen Vogt was one of those guys, and they hired him. Now it's time to create the ultimate big board of backup quarterback options in the NFL. And it should be noted, we're going to start out at five today, okay? This is the Valentine's Day five, as they'll be known, until they're not known. I will give you the three just missed. Joe Flacco just missed. I don't think there's a chance in hell he's back this year. Uh, Jacoby Brissett just missed. He doesn't fit the spread offense any more than uh, Joe Flacco does. Mitchell Trubisky just missed, because quite frankly, he's not any good. And the only reason anybody wants him here is he is from Mentor. And honestly, he probably does belong on this five list, but I'm just being a stubborn D about it. Now, we get to the Browns' backup quarterback, Big Board, 216-474-0092. What name has to be on our Browns' backup quarterback, Big Board? Yes, I'm saying it right. Uh, number five, Josh Dobbs. Pros, scheme fit. He's more experienced than the last time you had him here. He's smart, great teammate. I don't know if you guys know this. He's, he wants to be an astronaut. Uh, athletic as well, very athletic. Cons, he's not been very good in extended starting spot. So it, when you guys talked, it was hot and bothered at the trade deadline. I did want Josh Dobbs back. I can admit now I was wrong on that. Joe Flacco was the better acquisition. Kudos to the Browns. Josh Dobbs has to be on your list, though, because he's already got a good relationship with Deshaun, and he does kind of fit where you want to take this thing. Number four. I don't know why I yelled that. Browns, backup quarterback, big board. Marcus Mariota, former Oregon head coach, or former Oregon quarterback, former Raiders quarterback, former Eagles quarterback, I, the Titans, that's about all I remember. Pros, scheme fit, experience. He's a savvy vet, good dude. Cons, he hasn't been very good in a very long time, even in mop-up duty and injuries. There's a lot of love for Marcus Mariota around the NFL. He's going to get a job this offseason. Doesn't matter in a perfect situation in Philly. He wasn't that good. Marcus, Mar Marcus Mariota is going to get a job this offseason. And honestly, that's the kind of guy that I think makes sense for the Browns because he can also help you bring along number three on the Browns' backup quarterback big board, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Now, this one's – I had to put him on here because he is going to be on the roster. So, I think it's best if you have a number two quarterback and then DTR kind of pushes him as the number three uh, quarterback. But that's going to depend on how good of a quarterback you actually want to invest in. If the Browns go into this season with DTR and Jeff Driscoll as the backup quarterbacks, you will get no pass from me if Deshaun Watson get, gets hurt. Unless DTR goes out there and plays well. If Jeff Driscoll is starting over DTR, then we're really going to have a Donnybrook. But DTR, the pros, young, affordable, still in that rookie contract. Upside, I actually did like what we kind of saw from the kid. He just was, he was a fifth-round rookie. Scheme fit. Cons, a fifth-rounder who hasn't played enough to trust for a full season. So if you have to, if you have to trust DTR for four or more games or a playoff stretch, you're probably up you know what creek. That brings us to number two, and this is where I think it gets interesting. Number two on the Browns' backup quarterback big board, Drew Locke. I never would have thought I would say this three years ago because I despise Drew Locke in Denver. I mean, 
I thought they wasted too much time with him. I thought they should have pulled the plug earlier. He looked young and confused and blah, 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 blah. Now, the pros are he has significant starter experience from his time in Denver, even kind of uh, you know spot starting here in Seattle. He's still young. He's like 26, I think. He's affordable-ish. He's an athlete. He's got a really nice arm. And I think he might fit the system. Cons, tiny baby hands. Really small hands. Nine-inch hands in cold weather. Not going to get done. I, I would like to make fun of his hand size, though, throughout the season. So that would actually be a pro for me. But yeah, tiny baby hands. He's also a turnover waiting for happen. You'll notice a lot of these quarterbacks, the cons are considerably more significant than the pros, but there are actually more things we'll say in pros, but honestly, the cons are pretty extraordinary. Uh, a turnover waiting happen is problematic, but I do like Drew Locke as a backup to push DTR. Number one, and this one is where it's going to get wild, Jameis Winston. Pros, an insane amount of starter experience in both New Orleans and in Tampa. He has a cannon for an arm, and I think he has some scheme versatility. I don't know it's a one-for-one, what you're going to do with Deshaun, what you're going to do with Jameis, but in terms of putting him out of the shotgun, being able to have a howitzer for an arm and throw it down the field, he would drive Kevin Stefanski crazy if he got into a game. But Jameis Winston, honestly, if that's your backup, I, I, I – Oh, I don't want to say it because it's not going to happen. I would have no problem if a team this offseason decided to try and take a, a run at Jameis. Not like a defensive head coach like in New Orleans, but if like a smart, like a Sean McVay, it's not going to happen. They got Stafford. But like a that kind of guy. That guy goes with Jameis. I, I think it'd be interesting. Now, the cons, it's kind of a, of a weirdo. And I know that there, you know, there's the crab legs and there's the Uber driver. Those things aren't, they're really just awful. But, like, even beyond, like, the things that he did when he was young, he's just kind of a weird dude. He ate that W. That was weird. Um, like, you hear him talk, and he's just kind of like, are you? Are we from the same planet, or are you from somewhere different? Uh, he is a walking interception waiting to happen. That's also not great. And the price. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage get cox internet powered by fiber with america's fastest download speeds it's internet built for tomorrow today cox always building better cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection speeds vary and are not guaranteed cox terms and other restrictions may apply analysis by ucla speed test intelligence data fixed median download speeds usq3 2023 Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. 
The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.